Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Are you an uncle, honey? I have not. I have no siblings, so it's not even possible. Oh, so, oh, okay. You are all by yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought you had a brother or something. No, no, no brothers, no sisters. No siblings wow. of any sort. That is amazing. And was it everything that I've dreamt of? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those weird things where it's like, you know, I actually was really close with my cousins, still am, and so it's it's like pseudo uh, brothers and sisters in that respect. Um, but yeah, you do end up, you know, getting all the stuff at Christmas, so there are benefits oh, to, to being yeah. only. Wait, yeah. wait, talk slowly. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Spotcast, Season 3, Episode 17. Uh, this week we're talking about Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 7, Unification 3. 3? 3? 3? 37? In a row? Yeah, my name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kula and Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there! And we're also joined by Harmon Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All right. Seattle, Good. Seattle, home of uh, the turkey uh, the unconscious. Tur- for fracking. <laughs> Jaime Lopez Jr. Right. By the way, I was just watching, I was just thinking I got to send this over to Jaime, he, since he's a big Tim Hortons fan. There's a commercial that they run, they ran last year and they run it again this year. And um, it's Sidney Crosby at the drive-thru and he's there with some other hockey player who I have no idea who it is. I'm sure Jonathan's going to, you know, Nate McKinnon. his phone. Nathan who? McKinnon. Nate McKinnon, captain okay. of the Avalanche. Yeah. Oh, the Avalanche? So it's the, it's the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and the Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche. Anyway, they're at the drive-thru and they're ordering like, you know, coffees and whatever. And, and hockey cards because tim hortons gives away hockey cards now for a dollar as well and of course as they as you the camera pulls away they're driving a zamboni through the uh through the drive-through so but it, we'll have to send a link to you for that one i made it <laughs> and for the show notes anywho already um yeah no start date we were talking about that just before the show i just you know couldn't be bothered uh and and Stardust was confusing in this episode which i'm sure jonathan will cover when we get get around to it um on this episode of lower decks so um and you'll, you'll understand why i said that in a minute but um <laughs> Yeah, do we we don't have any fact check this week. This is really weird. Oh, we're just that good. No fact check? Are we sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we nailed it. Oh, okay. We were perfect perfection last week. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. No question. Alrighty. Well, let's just dig into the the Disney Plus stuff. 18 All plus, I should say. All right. All right. Well, put on your tinfoil hats, kids. This is time for conspiracy corner. Uh, so there is a YouTube video out there right now that purports to show the launch of a perhaps adjunct to Disney Plus, billing itself as Disney 18 Plus. And if you watch this video, which has been making the rounds this week, which has become a highly uh, polarizing subject on a lot of different uh, chat boards and 
blogospheres and uh, all kinds of good stuff out there. If you watch the video that is contained inside, it purports to show a Disney Plus model app that contains a lot of the more mature side of the Disney properties. That is to say, a lot of the things they acquired from Fox. So things like Aliens and uh, Terminator, I think, or Predator, I think, is in there. Uh, and it also shows some of the Marvel products in there. And it also shows what looks to be a release date on that for a Black Widow movie coming to that platform. Now, it should be said clearly and upfront that this is not in any way verified, in any way, shape, or form. It's purely... Yeah, and it's, and it's kind of shot on an angle, so it's kind of like, is it fake news or whatever? It's it's meant to be like somebody filming off of a television or... Exactly. A, uh, like, a, like a camera cinema shot, right, yeah. kind of thing? I, I have a question, though, so yeah. before we dig deep. Um, so, currently, we can watch The Avengers on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Are there swears in The Avengers? There are, I believe at least a couple right okay so and these movies like 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 you mentioned predator and and terminators and and aliens and stuff like that they're not available in disney plus right now they are not they are they have been acquired through that uh the purchase of all of the 20th century fox film and uh television assets that was made last year but they've never been put on a platform uh like that but didn't didn't disney have like a a wing like touchstone or something like that or the one that spielberg publishes well yeah they've got their own imprints that they could put stuff out on for distribution but none of those right. have like a, a digital streaming venue the closest right. thing they have is they have the controlling interest in hulu now because again of that okay. same acquisition they control the voting interest in hulu so they could essentially run it and right, right. so theoretically they can license that and that's what they've done with some of their slightly more mature properties like the runaways cloak and dagger for the marvel stuff they put a few things on there and they've also they acquired all of box fx uh assets as well and so they've they've started branding fx on hulu as a brand now so they're using a lot of the fx properties so that would uh you know i guess that would be like sons of anarchy and and uh archer and there's there's lots and lots and lots of stuff that's come out of there so that they put it all out on hulu because they wouldn't put anything of that within a 20 foot radius of the the disney plus stuff (laughs) it's not the same audience so uh, the big question i guess is is uh i've i've gone over lots of different things there's a great reddit page you know most people seem to think that this is an incredibly well done uh uh fake (laughs) yeah fake but i thought it was worth raising because there is some logic to the idea of it whether or not this is a real thing i guess now we can have a discussion so what do you guys think is this fake or is this real and either way what do you think i could probably fake this video in like an hour look it wouldn't take me long you basically could do this like as a keynote or something like that on your Mac, um, stream it over to an HDMI TV, you know, with, with the title sequence that they show at the very end there and film it with my iPhone on a weird angle and, and not think twice about it, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, highly, highly improbable. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with Disney having uh, that kind of thing. I mean, if they want to keep their, you know, their Tinkerbell kind of identity, you know, clear, 
clean, they could have Disney Plus. And as, as, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but like a lot of Amazon Prime, I think now, and I think Netflix, no, not Netflix, but Amazon, I think now has this, they've added channels to, and I think Apple TV does too. They've added channels to like, like you can subscribe to channels like you do on cable. Mm. Right. And, and so I would think like, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's unreasonable for Disney to sort of have a, another, another venue. I think Disney was early to the game with a, with a, an app on iOS, right. And an Android, I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think became what we see on the Apple TV. And, and, and now I, I'm like, do you need, do you need, um, do you need a platform like Apple TV to watch Disney plus, or does it run on a, like, can you put it on a smart TV or like an app? Yes, you, you can. Know? As a matter of fact, I have it as an app on both of my smart TVs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I don't think it's unreasonable for Disney to have a way to show that, that kind of content, like maybe the Fox stuff you were talking about before, but um, whether, whether I'm going to believe it or not for something that looks like a leaked video that said, I mean, you know, Jaime and I work in, in the mobile world and, and, you know, we, we have a show where we discuss this kind of, these kind of leaks every week, it seems right. Especially leading up to big announcements. And, and some of them are like very credible and they don't get all of the, they, they probably get like maybe 80% of the facts, right. But there's always, there's always a surprise at Apple or Google slides in there that, that doesn't leakers seem to miss. Right. So it's almost like they're feeding the, they're, they're feeding the, the leakers a little bit just to keep everybody other, you know, off the, off the scent. Right. You know, what do you think, Jaime? Yeah. In, in this one, I'm a little confused as to why the Disney 18 plus wouldn't be a little bit more prominent. Um, I think the idea is certainly interesting. I, I just assumed it'd go with Hulu as the, the co-branding of like, Oh, just subscribe to one. You get both or something. Right. At like $2 more or some other combined price. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe I, I want it to be a thing so that there there is. So like as an example, um, I've not seen Hamilton because I haven't subscribed to, to You haven't Disney seen Club. Hamilton yet? I can't believe that. No, because <laughs> it's sometime in December and I, I need to look at the, the calendar again to see when it was I figured out. Um, I'll let you in on the secret. I haven't seen Hamilton either. Well, the thing I do know about <laughs> it is that there in the original play, there are three F-bombs and they had to remove one of them oh. so that it would still really? qualify for Disney Plus to be like PG-13 wow. or something, I guess. So it, it, the, the concept of 18 plus kind of makes sense for the things that just don't fit in there. I just have my doubts as to whether they'll throw them under uh, a Disney branding and not just keep it as like Hulu or something. So I don't know. It, it was an interesting thing to look at. I was certainly watched it to see, you know, does this, does this seem legit? How does this make sense sort of thing? Yeah. What do you think about my theory about the fact that Apple is feeding the leakers some information? That one I think does make sense. Uh, it, certainly it seems like something your operational security folks should be doing to figure out, oh, there you go. That was the person who leaked it, right? Giving giving yeah, slightly yeah. different, unique data. Um, There's like a deep throat guy that meets people in the in the parking lots and, and <laughs> says, you know, the M1 is going to have like built-in RAM. And yeah, <laughs> nobody saw the M1 coming, right? Like I mean, for all the leakers like uh, that are out there. We did we did think. I think sorry, I guess we did know that they were working on their own chip. But anyway, yeah, you know, yeah. let's stay let's stay on focus on sci-fi here for this show, I guess. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, I don't think it's real either, but. I think it opens an interesting discussion, which is what is going to happen with all those properties. And I think it'll be interesting yeah, to see true. how they do that, whether it's integrated into Disney Plus, whether Hulu becomes more global. Um, it'll be interesting. And I do think one of the reasons why it resonated and one of the reasons why it, it uh, sort of made the round so fast is that I think people have been waiting for the shoe to drop on something to happen with Black Widow because it does not seem like it's going to go to the theaters anytime soon, even though it's still slated for spring. So we shall see, I guess. 
Yeah, but the the whole Marvel Universe people with their movies, they must be sitting on a big bag of cash, too, though, right? Well, again, it depends where the production, who would have put up the money for the production, too, right? Oh, that's like, true, that's true, yeah. We yeah, talked yeah. about that previously, like, who's going to want their money back, and how soon? Yeah, interesting, you know, just on the sidebar there, um, so there's a movie called Who the Beep is Frank Zappa, mm. which is coming out, and, and um, the guy from uh, Bill and Ted, Alex, what's his name again? Winter, Alex Winter. Alex Winter. Um, I backed him three years ago on this thing like it was sort of uh, it was save the vault you know frank zappa had all these these um tapes and recordings of his shows and movies and films in it in his basement and like a huge house though don't get me wrong like uh, and uh so the idea was to save the vault and make this movie and we all we all pitched in like i pitched in 35 bucks and you know like thousands of other like tens of thousands of people also backed this thing up and i was reading uh it comes out tomorrow actually after like four years of production and um Alex Winter sent out a, a, an email the other day to the backers saying, you know, people are saying, well, why can't we get the movie before it hits the public release and that kind of stuff? And uh, turns out that he says in in the in his explanation is that the money for the from the Kickstarter was to preserve the vault, to preserve these these films and 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 audio recordings and stuff like that. And the making of the movie was a different thing. In fact, it was it was shopped out by a, pro- a production company, and you know they went and found all the backers. And they went and did all the marketing. They had all the posters done, and they actually made the actual movie. Even though he is "quote unquote" the director, I think, right? Um, so it's interesting that that you know, like you know, we all think we're throwing money into this movie, but we're not actually throwing it into the movie. We were throwing it into the vault thing, and and then him explaining how the actual movie hits the streets is a different story, right? Like like you know, he doesn't have the rights to distribute the movie, right? Because it's been paid for by somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. It's just sort of an insider view of how. You you know, we all wonder how these things happen, and like you said, you know, um, with the with the Black Widow, it's who's who's paying for it is the one who's going to say how it comes out, right? Exactly right. Yeah, there's yeah. actually there was a, a famous one from years gone by where Prince hired Kevin Smith, right? right. He talks yes. about it in one of his yeah. Kevin Smith specials where he said, you know, Prince said, "Hey, I want to work with you," so he flew up to Minnesota and like did a bunch of filming for a week or two, and was going to do this whole sort of special behind the scenes thing with Prince. And yeah. he got to the end of the project and they were like, yeah, he's just going to take that footage and he's going to put it in, in his vault and it may never see the light of day. And he's like, but I right. just came in here and worked on this. Like, what do you mean he's not going to show it? And he's like, well, it's his. And he has recorded hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of albums and never released them. He's recorded hundreds wow. of videos and never released them. Hmm. So, you know, I think we might be seeing Prince albums from now until the end of our lifetimes because apparently it's all there. So well, yeah. speaking of not owning stuff, can we talk about Dave Chappelle for a minute? Yeah, good story, eh? Yeah, so Jaime and I were kind of... Were we talking about this yesterday, Jaime? I can't remember. I think it came up in After Show. After Show, yeah. So the Netflix thing, like, the, so I... I well, I, two things. Well, I'll come back to this this thing I put in the fact check, but um, yeah, so I saw a post on, on Twitter the other day, or sorry, on Facebook the other day, and it was misspelled, and I couldn't understand what it was saying, but because I was watching Netflix stuff, because I'm off this week, and I was, you know, killing some time and catching up on things, and um, I noticed that the Chappelle Show was on... Uh, Netflix and because I had just watched his two specials that he I say I watched one of the two specials that he he posted on on Netflix recently right and then it was an interview with him and Dave Dave Letterman as part of you know the day your, your next guest needs no introduction show that yeah Letterman that was does, great right? I love that interview yeah so yeah it's so insightful eh but mm-hmm. the I mean I learned a ton about uh, David Chappelle even even the 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 what was the one the Mark Twain Award one was good I watched oh that. yeah yeah very <laughs> well, insightful very cocky in that one too yeah but but 
but it was interesting to sort of hear the, I mean, whether the stuff is all literally, literally true or not, but the backstories behind people's relationship with him, like, and working with him and that kind of thing, especially the, the guy he did the Chappelle show with was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But, and then all of a sudden I heard a rumor that Chappelle show was getting pulled from Netflix. And, and, and then I saw a, a note from, from Dave Chappelle saying, please don't watch this because I'm not getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so over to you guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a really interesting move. I mean, obviously his specials and his stature on Netflix has been a huge boon for both of them. His career has resurged in a, in a huge way. And also they've benefited immensely from his presence there. And the fact that he has the clout and the um, uh, be able to uh, do that, to be able to, you know, say, hey, I'm not getting paid for this. Would you guys take this down? And that they said yes is pretty remarkable because uh, it, it's unclear as to whether they're, you know, like that's sunk, right? They would have spent the money on that. His argument was basically they own the rights to it. They can sell it to whoever they want but the if i'm not seeing the dime right? yeah 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 well it's via is it viacom i can't remember who the parent company for comedy central is but yeah he he was saying that you know these people can go basically go out license it to whomever they want but if i'm not seeing any money then like what's the like there's no artistic value to that anymore right it's basically it just becomes you know screw the artists and and now it's all just about money and um yeah and they took it down it's, it's pretty shocking yeah i mean i was actually thinking hey i could watch that because I, you know, I, I didn't see it when it was on the air. Most, I think I caught maybe a couple of episodes, but never yeah. really watched. And I know it's one of your your favorite shows, right? I love it. I, I've loved it since day one. The um, I don't know if it's still there, but I know it was available on Crave as recently as oh, like really? a couple okay. of weeks ago. Uh, I have it on DVD from way back in the day. You can get it on iTunes. I know that. So, but again, the iTunes, I don't know if there's a monetization in there for Dave, or if he gets a percentage or or something. Uh, and I don't know what kind of deal would have been struck to put it on Crave whether or not that was something that was made um, as a as a money-making opportunity for him as well. So interesting to know all the logistics of that. But but it's a huge uh, it's a huge step forward in, in, you know, artists trying to, you know, uh, be treated fairly for the, the art, art that they create. Right, right. Well, I mean, because like I think like a lot of, you know, artists in the 60s, you know, musicians and so there's there's plenty of stories about artists and child actors and movie stars who who got into bad contracts and and you know because they were just starstruck at the whole idea and not, mm. and not realizing that um, this little thing that they were doing was worth worth so much money to somebody you know else right well even look uh, at like we had a recent one where you know Taylor Swift has been fighting because the rights to her masters have been going around like hotcakes right people have been right, buying yeah. them and trading them and selling them and she keeps saying well you know but it's my work I want you know I want the I want to preserve the integrity of that and people are like no it's a commodity it's a valuable commodity we can license your work the spice, you know it's the spice man yeah absolutely yeah no but it, it is it's a you know the it's a it's a strange place to be where you know the artists don't control their art right right yeah you used to have to kill the artist before you could you know sell his paintings and stuff <laughs> i mean the art it, the art world has been like that forever i mean they used to always say that once an artist dies he can no longer produce paintings and therefore the paintings he made in his lifetime provided they're they're qualified as capital a art um then they you know they they shoot up in value and if you look at you know the selling of picasso and and van gogh and you know those kind of guys uh 
they're like worth millions and millions, ridiculous amounts of money, you know, like mm-hmm. professional sports players couldn't even afford to buy them, you know, like that's how ridiculously high they get priced. No, right? but the guys who pay them their, their salaries can. Right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of ridiculous at, at that level. But um, anyway, do you have anything to add to the Chappelle story? Jaime? Sorry. The only sort of take I had on it was that um, for folks who are a little confused, I don't think there was any sort of legal reason why Netflix needed to remove it. Um, I'm not even sure they removed it out of the goodness of their hearts, but rather the fact that Dave Chappelle has a really good, solid relationship with them. And if he's inclined to to want something a certain way, I think I would make him happy too, right? I'm sure it was not an easy decision for them, but it sort of seems to make economic sense for Netflix. To me, it's kind of a junior executive move to put it on. Like, like they just did, they just inked this deal with him with two specials, right? Which he's just done like within this year. And then considering when you consider that there's not a lot of fresh stuff being made, um, and also, uh, you know, the fact that he's, this Mark Twain special came out and the fact that he's on the Letterman Letterman interview, right? Um, it's kind of like, hey, you know, we should, like they're doing that right now with with Princess Diane, like Diana, right? You, If you watch The Crown, you know, if you didn't know about the story about, you know, Diana Spencer or Lady Diana, um, you know, Duchess of Windsor, you could, you can now watch, you know, there's a, there's an interview of her in her own words. Um, there's another one about, you know, the sort of the story of Diana. Like they kind of just drag all these, these old tapes out that they, oh, look, we found this one in the vault, you know, literally, and mm. and put it up on the show. And it's kind of like, I think that somebody somewhere, someone said, hey, here's something, let's let's keep the keep the eyeballs on the screen by throwing up the Chappelle show, right? And I could see that being totally uh, something they would do. I don't think that, because, you know, they must have had to go pursue and have long arrangements with Dave to talk about these these um, specials that he's done for them, or, or maybe he may have done the specials not intending to put them on on Netflix and they may just shopped them around and Netflix came to the table kind of thing, right? But yeah, I think that I could see why they took it down because obviously they've, they've got this this hot property and they're promoting it and they put a lot of marketing behind it, right? Um, you would think. And especially since he's been promoting it as well, right? Um, the, the the kind of add-on, you know, the, the, the affinity connection or the affinity link or whatever we call it in, in web development where you have something that's kind of related, like, you, you know, purchasers also looked at this show kind of thing mm. that they do, you know, that I think that was sort of how that got rolled into into the queue, right? So, you know, I, and I could see that, you know, that that's maybe why it would have been easier to take it down. Maybe it was sort of a, you know, an also ran kind of idea, right? Yeah. Well, it's the the, the, the old adage, right? You don't eat the golden goose. You wait for it to lay more golden eggs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or strike while they're hot. They, you know, they, he's a hot property. So maybe you roll out his his, uh, his other stuff too. Anyway, let's move yeah. on back. Let's go back to the show. Let's, let's hey, yeah, sure. We're, we're talking about, yeah. All right. Wonder Last Woman. week we talked about Wonder Woman. 1984 and the fact that it's going to HBO Max as well as theaters on Christmas Day. So the question was, what does this mean for Canadian audiences? Because we don't have HBO Max as an option. And we speculated, well, is it going to be just in the theaters? Is there going to be somebody else who picks up the streaming rights? How is that going to be made available? Well, the good folks at CBC, specifically David Friend, uh, well, it's a Canadian press story, so run by CBC. Canadian press story, David Friend wrote a story where he spoke to a representative from Warner Brothers and And they confirmed that it is only going to be available in movie theaters effective December 25th in Canada. There is no streaming partnership. It will not be airing here. The coda to his story says a representative for Crave says that while a deal wasn't struck to bring Wonder Woman 1984 to the platform during 
during its theatrical run, the film, quote, will stream on Crave following its standard theatrical window. So ballpark, that's usually three to four months. I don't know if that's changed to the window that has shrunk because of the COVID pandemic or if this is standardized. So we may not be able to see it outside of the theater here legally here in Canada until uh, April, March, April, May. Who knows? Unless you're serving barbecue with it when you go to the theater to watch it. Yeah. Unless you're willing to go to a movie theater. And that is pretty disappointing. The fact that Mm -hmm. a property like that, that obviously has a lot of interest. I had fully intended to go see it, Tim. I'm sure you did too. We enjoyed the last one. I think it was going to be something that was, you know, sought out. But there's no world in which I am going to a movie theater in December of 2020. There's no world that's happening. That's true. That's true. Yeah. One, all the movie theaters in my area are closed. Two, any movie theaters are still open are still going to be very, very uh, potentially, you know, dangerous places to be. You are putting yourself at risk in an era area in this area of Ontario where we have a very high concentration of COVID cases. It is a risk and it's not a risk I feel is worth taking. Some people will feel differently and hopefully everything will work out for them. But to have that be the only option on the table, especially when they've gone out of their way to have that option be something different for our American friends is very disappointing. Well, but like we said it on this show before, if you want to see this movie in a, in a reasonable amount of time, you're going to see it. Yep. I mean, wake the F up, yep. people who yeah, all, market this stuff. All they've done is is basically alienate the large number of... And it's all relative. Canada is a, a flea spec for, for worldwide box office. United States, China, uh, overseas. Canada is a blip. We're small. There's not a lot of us. Fair enough. So maybe they don't care if they're pissing us off. That seems to be the general vibe coming from down south anyways. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's not nothing. You're still probably going to lose, you know, hundreds of millions or a hundred million in potential box office or potential whatever that is. So I don't know. To me, it just seems I, I'm sure there's logistical problems. I'm sure there's concerns. But yeah, the number of people who are interested in this, who are going to illegally view this based on the fact that it won't be available to watch within the safe confines of your own home until spring is very high. There will be yeah. casual people, which yeah. you could make an argument that that's where a lot of film goers are. They're just, hey, somebody looking for something to do on a Friday night. And they're not the hardcore moviegoers like you and me and, and others. I, I just think they're going to lose a lot of potential earnings by this kind of decision. Yeah, that's true. And what if it sucks? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, what if it sucks? Well, Because so, then nobody mean, the, would wanna, the, nobody's going to want to go see it anyways. Like, well, I, so I don't the think reality is, I want to see what the tenant numbers are. Like, what were, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, like what could, if it was not a pandemic world, what would Tenant possibly have made? I mean, you could, I guess you could compare other movies that, that, uh, that like, you know, inter, inter, yeah. like that, like movies like that. Dunkirk, yeah. Dunkirk, or, or even the, didn't he do one of the comic book movies? Uh, well, Batman, he did three right? Batman movies. Yeah, those Batman made movies. crazy like, money, but then all yeah, perspective, so, right? So, yeah, and, and Wonder Woman's been a big hit. Like, you know, like, it, it was kind of, it sort of had its, uh, I think in, it's comparable in a sense to Black Panther in terms of the fact that, you know, they thought, oh, nobody's going to watch this movie. You know, the white executives in the boardrooms making those decisions. And yet, you know, Black Panther was amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And and it had an amazing impact and influence on people, mm-hmm. uh, especially who want to see themselves on the screen, if you know what I mean. But And the same thing with, with Wonder Woman, right? They, 
the original Wonder Woman movie was was I mean you know Wonder Woman TV show in the in the seventies and eighties was you know it was popular it was like one of the top shows on on the, at the time but mm-hmm. it hasn't it hasn't been in syndication forever like mm-hmm. you know you would think right but but uh, it, it's kind of foolish not to I mean well so let's let's be realistic they probably asked a big dollar for it oh yeah and there isn't a Canadian streaming service that was willing to take it on right yeah at the cost that they would have had to put into it I'm sure that's why Crave didn't do it they couldn't reach an agreement as a fa- as a code of wing coded yeah. way of saying we didn't want to spend whatever it was 80 million dollars whatever they wanted for dollars, it. Exactly. yeah exactly yeah I yeah. Uh, yeah to me it just seems it makes sense I get the like they would have crunched all the numbers they would have figured it all out they would have figured okay if we don't do this in Canada if we only go this route this is how much money we're going to not make if they've crunched the six ways from Sunday they know that this is sure. the best way to monetize what they have um, and as we talked about last week and you know we, we have the, the Jaime Lopez juniors of the world who are going to pay the one month <laughs> subscription right they're going to get the subscription in December and they're going to yeah. watch it but you know sure that's what they want this is this is coming out on Hulu oh HBO Max right HBO Max yeah mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Okay. okay so Jaime's, Jaime's all sad he's got his credit card ready and <laughs> yeah I, I'm, all right. I'm trying to figure out how best to do that because the the thing that threw a little bit of a wrench in the works is so I'm a YouTube TV subscriber and for reasons unclear to me we're getting this holiday weekend free HBO Max through YouTube TV and so we've said oh what? maybe we need to work down whatever we possibly can in the binge list binge through which might change the timing for Wonder Woman 1984 of like oh maybe I don't do it on Christmas Day maybe I do it towards the tail end of that month that it's available to see if I can squeeze my way in to Justice League, assuming it, it launches relatively soon in the new year. You're so honest in the United States, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so can I ask you guys a, a theoretical question, where this is a purely theoretical exercise, and I'd like it very clear that this is a theoretical exercise. If I were an American citizen, say if I were living in Seattle, and I... Let's, a... let's, be, let's not point fingers at, at Jaime. Why don't you say El Paso instead? Oh, El Paso. That's a good one. If I was living in El Paso, for example, and I had a VPN that could uh, basically say that I'm in Canada, could I then watch Crave from El Paso? I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. just given the behavior that I saw when I went to the United Kingdom, I remember thinking, what the heck? When did Discovery end up on Netflix? Oh, wait, this Netflix is all weird and wacky and it has none of the things I would recognize and realize that just being in that area, they said, oh no, you get to see this Netflix, which made no sense. I was like, why, why would you choose a Netflix based on where I'm currently at, not where my subscription is from. Oh, I see what you mean. You, you dialed into your Netflix and that's what you got. Yeah, I just... you were doing a local dial-in, right? Now, you weren't using a VPN to say that you were somewhere else. You were saying you were in the UK, I was right? physically in, in, in the UK and it decided, oh, yeah, you get to see this one then. I was like, well, why though? You, you know it's an American account. Why did you just show me my American content? So, continuing that thought, if I were... Hap- if I happened to be, for example, a Canadian living in, I don't know, let's say Brampton, and... I had a friend who had an American HBO Max account and I turn on my VPN and say, hey, I happen to be in Chicago. Could I then watch HBO Max? Yes, I think so. In theory. I, I think so. In I think theory, that would work, right? It seems right? to be based on yes, the, work, the, yeah. the, as silly as it sounds, the physical perimeter of where your internet is at. So what I just figured out is we just found a way to get socialized science fiction to Jaime. 
<laughs> this episode brought to you by Tunnel Bear. <laughs> we do these. We do these. Not really. We do these FaceTime calls at, on this regular basis. <laughs> People yeah, are yeah. just like, "Hey, get out of the background." <laughs> you can just have a WebEx call and Jaime can share. His yeah, exactly. It's simple, right? Yeah. No, it's, again, to me, it just it, some of the stuff just doesn't make sense. Like the it, the internet has allowed for the for the destruction of borders. There are no borders anymore. Like that's the nonsensical part of all this. There are no borders. Borders are made up things. They always have been. Now they're even more so. There is a whole global community online that is nothing to do with borders anymore. So why do people think that they can do things like, you know, put something out in a theater or one place and put it on a on a streaming channel someplace else and not think that those things are, are antithetical? I, I'd have to guess that there's like some weird uh, movie theater conglomerates in Canada that fights this stuff tooth and nail. Because like, well, we have a thing called the CRTC, which which basically governs what can be broadcast and streamed in Canada, right? Sure. Yeah, it's like the, the FCC in the States. Yeah, and they have a similar thing in the States. Yeah, so so there are, I'm going to say government entities, for lack of a better word, that think that the physical border can can control the digital, digital border. We all know it can't, right? At least sure. the people in this show know it can't. But like, right? I'm trying to follow the money. I'm like, how do they get money? I mean, sure, they get some prestige and maybe they, they have, you know, passionate lovemaking with their spouse when they've declined something that, that screws over Canadians, right? It just gives them a power trip. But assuming that's not a factor, <laughs> like there must be this this conglomerate of, of of theater owners in Canada who know that Canadians just order an unholy amount of popcorn and soda or something. And like they're missing out <laughs> on that sweet money if they don't have even a minuscule number of people sitting butts in theaters. Did you ever watch The X-Files? Mm-hmm. Did you watch The X-Files when it was on? Yeah, yeah, with I mean, uh, Mulder and Scully, yeah. Well, you know, you know, the smoking man and, and the guys he used to see, meet with in the suits and stuff like that, and they would do all the backroom plotting. Yeah. Right? That's the guys that are trying to control this stuff. Sure. I, 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 I totally believe it. I feel like it's not not that far away from that. So um, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, it, this seems like a slam dunk for you all. You're, you're sitting in the same pandemic situation we are. I would say the argument for, uh, well, the money's not that much. It's like, yeah, it will be even smaller in theater. Why don't you just make the easy thing? Thing of oh well just they should. throw it I on mean, the interwebs the and thing. it's 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 uh marginal cost exactly. distribution is zero to get it to however many of the 30 million people who live in canada will well watch. see this is where you have companies like apple and but even even apple canada and apple us they serve different content but but that's where you get these companies like apple and hbo and places like that and disney plus that put these shows out there so that so that people can enjoy them irregardless of what board is that right word is no word? Irrespective. irrespective irrespective of what i think Irregardless, actually got put in the dictionary last year. It did, year, and it makes me, me want to kill myself. Cringe. So let's yeah. not use that one. <laughs> so irrespective of of your physical location, you know, you can you can watch. Like we can all sit down and watch Mandalorian. Well, some of us can watch Mandalorian tomorrow night, right? <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. Like like it doesn't matter if I'm in the U.S. or in Canada, I still get to watch that movie. So it just it it just ugh, curdles my corn to think that these, like you said, these people think they can control how we consume media. It's ridiculous, right? Yeah. Well, and again. The, all they're doing is is fostering what the internet is notorious for, which is people yeah. behaving badly. Well, then give us the right options. You know, you and I... People we, would pay you. People would pay you the money. Well, we talked about you... it before. Again, put it on VOD up here at the same time. Like, Wonder Woman's going to be a big flick. Put it on somewhere where I can pay whatever is a, you guys think is a fair amount. Is $20? Is $25? Again, I'd pay far more than $25 for Xavier and I to go see it. If I paid $25 yeah. and we could sit down in there on the sofa and watch it 
it and have it for 48 hours and have it for 48 hours and watch it once or twice i would and you know what's better than that we talk about it on our effing podcast (laughs) like to me it just seems like you're you're cutting off your nose to spite your face you know and yeah the the whole thing just seems like an antiquated notion it really does feel like you know the last of the buggy whip makers they're just like oh no these are gonna sell like hotcakes like nobody needs them anymore there are cars anyway well on that note um so we've got like we're like an hour into this almost <laughs> you have to go real fast with the rest of these to get the recap. stories to whip through so so i just want to call something back into the fact check because because um jaime mentioned last week we sort of do follow up on on more than just codes that's what i'm kind of thinking of this way but i noticed when i was flipping on um netflix this week uh and maybe last week there was a, like a little icon that said play something or something like that like I, you remember you were talking about they reinvented broadcast tv mm-hmm. where yeah so i haven't tried it yet but i think if you push that button it, you you randomly get something to watch have you have you seen this on your netflix jonathan yeah i saw it come up actually this week and i think that's the notion is basically it's like surfing channels right you press it and it yeah. basically picks something for you i don't know if it picked based on your tastes or if it just picks something at random maybe it's like giphy you have to type in a word and it does an association thing <laughs> yeah because <laughs> you have like three or four things to choose anyway i just thought it was interesting that 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 button that we were talking about i think a mere week ago or two ago has kind of surfaced on canadian netflix i don't know if you see that on your netflix i mean i haven't seen it yet on mine maybe they're rolling it out a little bit by bit yeah we're the beta testers i think up here in canada right mall market yeah they often do things up here because yeah there's just not enough of us to, to worry about and and not it's not like we have podcasts where we can discuss it with our american friends right so yeah nothing like that yeah all right all right next up there is a, a bit of a dispelling of a disney plus series so tatiana Maslani, the uh, canadian actress famously uh, orphan black has come out and denied that she is going to be She-Hulk. We talked about this a few episodes back that she had been cast as She-Hulk in a Disney Plus series. And I think a lot of people were pretty on board with that. She's a very talented actress. But she came out this week and she said, uh, it's funny to even acknowledge because it isn't actually anything. Mm. She said, I've done all kinds of different things. I've got other projects in the in the fire, you know, irons in the fire. But no, nothing. So, yeah, um, I guess it's back to the drawing board for Disney, but also kind of disappointing. I think she would have been good. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know enough about the character to really say yay or nay. I, I thought it was an odd, personally, I thought it was an odd thing for her to do, especially after the success of Orphan Black. You know, like she, I think she won like awards like for three or four years in a row. Yeah, she she definitely won a bunch of different things for that and was very well regarded for it. It's, um, yeah, it's interesting, interesting that she has, it, but I mean, it was reported quite a while back. Like, I can't recall off the top of my head, but I think it was maybe in summertime we were talking about this. No, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it was like maybe three episodes ago. We could, we could, we do have a vehicle we can check. But Back check. That's what? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I might, we could scroll through the notes and look for it. But anyway, um, all right, let's move over to Jaime and his big news. Yeah, we, we, after the passing away of uh, Chadwick Boseman, we were wondering what was going to happen with the Black Panther franchise, and um, apparently it's it's moving forward in 2021. And it's going to start filming yeah, apparently in Atlanta in July. And uh, they're saying that uh, Shuri is uh, going to have a bigger role, which I was not aware. It seemed like she had the Black Panther mantle at some point in the in the comic books. So She did in the comics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it would make sense. I, is this his sister character? Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. the one that, that basically the, 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 the Tony Stark of, of Wakanda sort of thing. Maybe she had all the, yeah. the technology. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they resolve that. I think recasting would be very challenging, although I don't think it's out of the question. We've already had some 
some recastings in the Marvel Universe. We've had three different actors play the Hulk. We've had, uh, you know, different actors play War Machine. You know, recasting happens uh, in different circumstances. We've never really had anybody do that because of uh, uh, somebody passing away. But obviously these things happen over the years. We saw it, the Harry Potter movies famously, right? The guy who played Dumbledore um, died after the first two movies and they had to cast Richard a different Harris, person. Richard Harris, yeah. Yeah, so Richard Harris died. So they had to, they had to cast uh, Richard Gambon or Michael Gambon. Um, Michael Gambon, yeah. So, you know, these things happen, but I do think it would be a very interesting and progressive step forward to move that mantle to her. I just wonder if logically you need to cast someone as T'Challa to have that seem like a logical and organic thing or or if it would just seem, well, yeah, it's complicated. Like, I don't think you want to kill off T'Challa necessarily. He's a very popular character. And of course, while, while Chadwick Boseman's performance as the character is iconic, I don't think that that means they want to just stop using that character. That being said, I think the idea of uh, putting Shuri in the starring role and making uh, a franchise around a smart, um, young black woman is amazing. Like, yes, please do that. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's worthwhile doing. I just wonder if you can do that in a logical way. Like, it seems like quite the quite the, the puzzle for the writers to have to work through. Well, do you know what? It's almost like, like I think we... we- we understand that you know life is like what it is and that and sometimes you have to recast uh, a character because a person dies right i mean that we i think we understand that like the recasting of hulk always to this day i'm still thinking ed who you know like <laughs> like uh, like that was an odd sort of it's almost like three different characters to me like even though the big green guy is always a big green guy but mm-hmm. um you know uh, i like mark ruffalo as as the hulk and i liked Banna as the hulk as well but um yeah, to do two was it they did two movies and then they put Ed Norton in there. Well, they, they did the Ang Lee movie. They did, and okay. that one is technically not part of the MCU. But then right. the Incredible Hulk movie they did with Edward Norton is part of the MCU uh, movie franchise. But they uh, deliberately do sort of reference that Ang Lee version without actually getting into it. So there seems to be a connection between them, but it's I think it's left in the eye of the beholder to decide if that was real. Yeah, it's like it's like Klingon for heads you know like it just it just makes you go crazy sometimes right um but if from, from a consistency so i think i think we i think you know if they just brought another actor in and he's t'challa and they don't say anything about it i mean i think people would be fine with that because everybody i mean people unless unless you've been living under a rock and you don't know that that uh uh Bozeman had passed away um people are okay with with just okay this is the this is the new bond right okay we have a new bond right you know it's like i don't think you have to make a big deal i don't think you have to write a plot about you know, he has to go away on a you know for a family emergency or whatever whatever excuse they want to make up. You know, um, to sort of slide her into the role. Um, you know, he gets he gets a tummy ache or something and can't go on a mission or whatever. You know, like I'm sorry, that's just that's going to make it worse. I think people know that Black Panther, if it's going to continue as a franchise, it has to have a new actor. I mean, how many Batman's have we had? How many Supermans have we had? You know, how many Spider-Man's have we had? It's like yeah, but how many of those actors died? Like none. Well, that's what I'm saying. But you did you did bring up. You did bring up uh, Richard Harris and Michael Gambon. I mean, that that's an unfortunate series of events too. But that that you know that that's how they have to, they have to keep dealing with that. I mean, they meant to do seven movies and they did, or eight movies. I guess they stretched mm-hmm. it out to eight. But well, it's always the um, risk, right? Act like pe- things happen, accidents happen. You know, people yeah. die, old age happens. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we say same thing with M's character and Q's character. You know, like like um, in in the Bond 
movies as well. I mean, I think I think if you try and write your way around it, you're, it's just going to ruin it. You know, I think it's just going to be a, like a bad, bad situation. I think just bring another actor out, put him in the suit, you know, do the thing, and, and we'll just roll with it, right? Yeah. I mean, are you on board for a recasting? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't thinking recast. I was thinking they were going to go the um, Carrie Fisher route of shots from behind <laughs> and, and audio that they took somewhere else sort of thing, right? The Rise of Skywalker case folks haven't seen Yeah, that. I think they actually have explicitly already said they won't do that. Have mm-hmm. you seen, have you seen, speaking of that, have you seen the deep fake versions of Princess Leia? Like for so Rogue you know, One? You know, she, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, did, they did it with a number of people because, you know, they, they animated um, uh, her in Rogue One and uh, Peter Cushing, right? Yeah. Um, but somebody's done a deep fake using footage of Carrie Fisher from her life and then putting it into the computer and, and re-rendering those scenes with a Carrie Fisher deep fake. And the deep fakes look better than the, at the failed attempts at animation, right? Because they, they look more like the actual person, right? It's really amazing stuff. And there's, there's a few of them. There's there's, you know, there's deep fakes where they have Kirk and Chris P- or William Shatner and Chris Pine as Kirk and Zachary Quinto and Leonard Nimoy as Spock and yeah. they they re- redo the the new JJ uh, Abrams scenes you know using this amalgam of the two actors and it's and it's like you're one second you're it's William Shatner and the next second it's like Chris Pine it's very strange but but I, I was watching something the other day with with um, I'll have to find a link now for the show notes with with uh, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia in, the, in one of them really amazing anyway the next sidebar did you know that Gambon Corner on um, what was that show with the the car racing guys? Top Gear, um, right? Top Gear, yeah. Gambon Corner on Top Gear is named for Michael the Gambon. Did you know that? Did he crash there? No, he's. I think he's the first one to do a three wheel turn. Oh, that's why they named it after him. Hmm. That's why they call it Gambon Corner. Nice. Yeah, because I mean, every car is it what the the reasonably priced car that they they yes, yes. all drive, right? Yeah, I think he was the first one to, or he was the first one to sort of take that corner in a real sort of reckless manner, and that's why they named it after him. <laughs> Nice. Anyway, I'm sure Xavier knows that. Come on. I'm sure he does. He's seen almost every episode of that series. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, so I've got a couple of things here. And, and it was interesting. Um, I saw these on Twitter because uh, the badges have always been fascinating for, for this uh, for this show. And I was because I actually bought a Discovery badge when they first came out. And then there was the Black Series. Uh, what do they call the Black Division? Section 31. No, the, the black ones that they did. Uh, the secret, secret agent guys that, uh, in the first or second season. Season. Anyway, they had those badges and they made those up as the same company made those ones up too. But now we have a new badge style, right? And if you look at this picture that's on this this tweet, um, the badges are it's sort of a, a combination of. If you look at the badge, it still sort of has the the Starfleet um, sort of triangly looking thing, um, but it also has little pips along the the one side, along the left side, and the pips indicate your rank, mm. right? Similar to the pips in the Next Generation, right? Mm. And looking at those pips. Um, and they, they, you know, there's like commander, captain, lieutenant, commander, you know, first lieutenant, lower lieutenant, whatever, different, different um, uh, ranks. Um, and we were discussing last week, and of course, we'll, we'll spoil this for ourselves in a minute, uh, about who would take on the number one role. And, and we put forth Nilsson, Lieutenant Nilsson. But according to the pips that they wear on the show, Nilsson, Reese, and Detmer are all full lieutenants, whereas uh, Tilly is is a like a 
I think a, she's an ensign, isn't she? Didn't we say last? Yeah. Yeah. So she's even lower than than that. So there there are some people on the show. I forgot the names of the ones that are are not full lieutenants. But so these technically would you know in terms of uh, who can be promoted to the level would be the ones the candidates that should be chosen for um, the number one role. You know, <laughs> basically because of their because of their their rank. and and data was a lieutenant commander. Is that that's higher than a lieutenant, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and Riker was a commander as well, right? He was. Yep. Commander Riker. Anyway, but then I, think, I think technically though, like I think that was the distinction, right? Because he's he was a commander, but he's also a commander and number one. I think um, equal rank though. I think the doctor is also a commander, and I think Troy at one point she becomes a commander as well, right? Right, right. Yeah. So they all have the same rank. It's just a question of who's uh, the second in command, right? Yeah, because I think um, the doctor and Troy both take a take a shot at uh, driving the ship at one point, right? Like sitting in the chair. Right? Oh, you mean crash landing it? Well. <laughs> well, no, I think it's interesting that you say that because I, heard, I read something the other day about that. It was in defense of Troy that she, it wasn't so much that she crashed the ship. She landed the ship. Yeah, did she? <laughs> Detmer landed the ship. Detmer landed the ship. <laughs> Troy crashed the ship. Okay. Well, Detmer kind of crashed it too, right? She, it needed Does help. the ship still fly? <laughs> after, after Burnham picked it up with the tractor beam. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so it was uh, it was very much like the Mandalorian ship in, in the last two episodes, two episodes ago. Oh, yeah. Um, anyhow, oh, more spoilers for Jaime. Poor guy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so this brings us to the part of the show where we talk about uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. No, no, no. Through. No, it's no, no, Lower no. Decks. Come on. You saw the episode. Tell me that wasn't a Lower Decks episode. <laughs> All right. Come on. A little bit. <laughs> Half of the show was Lower Decks. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. So Star Trek Discovery uh, Season 3 episode. What episode we had? Seven. There? Seven. Thank you very much. Mm. Unification 3. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were, we were doing, I think we had a spoiler section where we talked about the uh, the namings of the episodes. And I think, I don't know why we thought this would be about Vulcan and Romulan empires, you know, merging together in a sort of unification kind of storyline. But there you have it. Um, I'm going to shut up now. I'm going to pass it over to Jonathan, who is going to do the recap for this week's show. And here we go. So yeah, Unification 3. So obviously we knew that there was going to be some some good stuff in here in a meaty episode, and damned if we didn't get that. So we start off with Burnham, and she's talking to her personal log, and she's talking about her fixation on the burn. We knew that we had left her in that very introspective place where she disobeyed Saru last week and went off on the mission to go find the black box, and that she had obviously been stripped of her her uh, role is number one because of that behavior. And she's talking about how, you know, maybe this isn't the place for her. Maybe, you know, her fixation on the burn and her, you know, sort of unease at being back in, in uniform and back aboard the ship and following rules. Just maybe it's time for her to think about a different path. And we're reinforced in that when the very next scene, she's lying naked in bed with book. Um, and you know, the two of them are talking and, and I, can, I just want to point out that really pimped out room that he's got. That was fantastic. The like super decked out wood, you know, wooden headboard and the whole nine. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, so yeah, she basically is, you know, she's talking with him and she's saying the same thing and, and you know, I'm not sure what to do. I don't know where I belong. I don't know what's going to happen from here. And, you know, we we're sort of left in that same place of, well, what is this all going to mean for Burnham? We then cut to Tilly, who is, you know, busy working away and, uh, you know, Burnham comes in and they have sort of a, you know, a bit of a confrontational moment. We obviously talked about that last week as well, that Tilly uh, 
had said to Saru pointedly, you know, you got to throw Burnham under the bus. She deserves to be under that bus. She made her own bed. She deserves to be there. And, you know, the defense that Burnham gives to, you know, a a bit of a dressing down from Tilly is, well, I I had to go. I had to, which is debatable. That's in her mind that she had to. But she says, no, I had to. And Tilly sort of, you know, okay, she sort of tries not to dwell on it. She says, okay, well, let's focus on this. So she's talking about the burn and they're running the data on the black boxes. And she says, you were right, by the way, we've got the results from the two first black boxes. We got it from the USS Yelchin. Wonderful little tip, uh, hat tip to Anton Yelchin, who played Chekhov in the new uh, Kelvin timeline movies, who unfortunately passed away at the age of 27 a few years ago. Uh, and we are also talking about the Govnor. Uh, and she says, you know, you were right. There's one one millionth of a microsecond difference between when they both went offline and they... And nobody's noticed this so far? And, and Well, because they didn't have those black boxes, right? Oh, okay, right. Because she found those. She's the one that found those black boxes. Uh, Burnham. So Tilly reveals to her as well that there's this thing called the SB19 sensors that are spread across dozens of light years of subspace and that, you know, maybe that could help them triangulate where this burn would have come from if they have a third point of triangulation. And it would save them having to scour lifetimes worth of empty space trying to find this place. But unfortunately, these results are not public. Uh, then my dog then they uh, get the ping as the computer finishes doing its processing and it's the results from this last black box they've got which is the Gianconi and it is seven one millionths of a microsecond difference after the Yelchin and so therefore they know that this is clearly something that was a cascade it wasn't something that happened simultaneously it's something that actually spread out through space and so they go and they see um, they go and see Vance the admiral and they are you know trying to plead their case they've got through they're trying to figure out like okay so you know we've got these three points you know what burnham did last week is quote unquote justified because now she's got this new data and they say well you know what do you know about sb19 and he says well you know yeah that's uh that's a navarre project and they say navarre what's navarre and they say well actually you probably know it from its its former name vulcan and navarre is the name that vulcan has gotten now that it is a unified planet of Romulans, Vulcans, and the merging of those two cultures, and that we also find out that they left the Federation a century ago. Uh, We also find out that Navarre contributed the SB-19 transportation system due to the shortage of dilithium that was supposed to be this great way for people to sort of use the subspace network and get from place to place, but they had reservations about it and they wanted to kill it. The Federation said, no, this is the most promising thing we have to replace dilithium with keep using it and then they think that they caused the burn but they blame the federation for forcing them to keep it going and that's what led to the dissolution of their relationship uh burnham says you know we got to go we got to we got to show them this evidence we got to try and convince them that if they give us their data that you know we can really we can absolve them of this we know that it wasn't their fault we know it wasn't there and vance says okay fine then let's send them spock's sister because then maybe they'll listen to you so then we get a very sort of sweet scene where uh burnham decides 
decides to actually look up her brother and figure out what was his life like. And we get a little hollow image of Leonard Nimoy as Spock doing part of the scene from Unification Part 2. Way back when in, gosh, what year was that? 91? 91? Long time ago. Yeah, yeah. a long time ago. And, uh, and you know, of course, she's, she's rolling tears. She's, you know, she's so uh, touched by the fact that her brother went on to this very illustrious career, that he went on to do great things. And Book, as a matter of fact, makes a crack about that, sort of says, you know, geez, you guys are just a family of overachievers. My goodness. Like, you saved the galaxy. This guy unified uh, the Romulans <laughs> and, the, and the Vulcans. <laughs> like, it's a good, it's a really good little little point to have Book be the one to point that out. Um, we then cut to a scene between Saru and Tilly. And Saru is talking about how, you know, he had to, you know, strip uh, Burnham. He didn't have a choice. He had to strip Burnham of her role as number one. And so he offers the role of interim number one to Tilly, um, which kind of surprised me. I got to admit, I was, you know, like, I think it was a little bit telegraphed, but also still like we talked about last week. Yeah, we thought it would be like a dispensable we, character. Yeah, we didn't think it would be somebody who was going to, you know, uh, have long term ramifications. We thought it was just going to be a seat filler. But yeah, big deal. And a good conversation there. She says, you know, is this because I'm compliant? Is this because I'm going to do what I'm told? And he says, you're going to put the best interests of Starfleet and Federation ahead of your own. And that's what I need right now. And that's what the ship needs right now. And it's true. Uh, and, you know, from the second episode of the season where she accompanies him on the mission on the planet where they crash land, she has been a very, um, a very much changed and more sort of formidable character. And she has been very, you know, uh, you know, forthright. And uh, she has adapted better than, you know, we've seen, obviously, some of the other characters. We've seen uh, Detmer. We've seen, you know, uh, Stamets and some of the other characters struggling through this, you know, new world and the new reality. And she has been kind of a rock, which is, it's all fair and valid. So she's now sort of struck. And he says, well, you know, you don't have to decide right away. Take a day and go think about it. Um, Then we go to our black alert and Stamets uses his new goo to uh to transport them the effect seemed to change did you guys pick that up it wasn't the mm. you know the ship where it does that thing where it's falling and and then twists around mm, yeah it, it just sort of zooped through space which i don't know if i feel better or worse about that i have to look at that i thought it was still doing the same action they just shot it from a different angle um maybe, maybe that's what it was it just to me it seemed like because it looked like it came out of this sort of portal in space in a different way it didn't just sort of materialize the same way it had before but uh, yeah it's, it's worth watching again uh and sure enough they end up right outside of navarre which is of course the former vulcan and there the uh president tarina appears and you know aboard the bridge um and she says you know you know basically you know we don't want to we don't want to release the data we don't want to uh reopen old wounds and it's looking awful lot like they're going to get sent on their merry way with you know thanks for visiting but don't come back later and then Burnham decides to invoke T'Kal and Ket, which is this philosophical exercise where she will be forced to defend her hypothesis that the burn did not occur because of uh, SB-19 in front of the Science Institute. 
So, yes, they have to defend their hypothesis in front of the Science Institute. As part of this exercise and defending their their hypothesis, they're getting assigned a Shalank Kai. Oh, I love these Vulcan words. Who mm-hmm. is a, 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 also known as a She-Set or an advocate. And we find out it's a member of the Co-op Malat, which, of course, now viewers of Picard. Uh, lots of crossover from, from Picard. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, and we know that these are the the order of uh, of um, primarily women who are the practicers of absolute candor who will you know give their you know unvarnished uh, uh, view on everything and the president sort of says well you know there's one member of the order who was particularly interested in being your advocate uh, did you guys immediately click to who that was going to be no no I, I was very blind going into that one yeah I, I, as soon as she said that line I'm like there's no way that it's not that <laughs> because who else could it be who else knows her right um and sure enough it turns out to be gabrielle burnham her mom it's michael's mom and uh yeah it, it, it turns out that part of the reason that she is there is because uh in going in front of the science institute they are going to basically try and rip her apart they're going to try and rip michael apart and go after her character and and uh this advocate is supposed to be there to support her more we'll decide whether or not that's the truth later so then we get a good scene where the uh, Saru and the president are walking through the ship. He's giving her a little tour and she is very suspicious of the motivations of the Federation. Uh, she doesn't believe that they're there, you know, just purely, you know, with the best of intentions. She, you know, understands, you know, what they're trying to do and she doesn't like it. And Saru is very, very, um, very, very diplomatic. He's an excellent diplomat in these scenes with the president where he really is trying to nurture trust and he really does come across with a real um it's sort of gentle nature and and diplomacy that is is really interesting for his character very on character but also just really interesting to see in that role as captain he's never had that kind of uh platform for that kind of stuff i thought that was really interesting so of course you know we're, we're now you know the the reunion between her mom and michael and she says you know well you were supposed to go back to terralysium why didn't you go there she said actually no i crash landed on sf4 and i was actually you know saved by the members of Kuat Milan. They helped me. They helped me get back on my feet. And, you know, so that's what I decided to join their order. She says that she can sense that uh, Michael is lost and that she's, you know, struggling with where she is. And she reveals to her one of the tenets of the Co-op Malat, which is that they take on lost causes. And that in this circumstance, the Federation's case that the burn, uh, they should be given this data to support their hypothesis about the burn is a lost cause. We are then introduced to this uh, panel of different members of the uh, Navarre society who are going to represent the different parts. So we've got Naraj, who is a Romulan elder. We've got Vakir, who is a Vulcan purist. And we've got Shira, who is a Romulo Vulcan, which obviously implies that this is a merging of their two species. Even though they're, they're technically related already. Yeah, yeah. And um, we also get a little bit of a reveal here that, um, you know, the Navarre no longer believe in the good of the many outweighing the needs of the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few uh you know the president basically says you know they don't you know we've long since long since learned to get rid of things like axioms um Mm -hmm. which is pretty again a pretty 
remarkable. Obviously, it's been hundreds and hundreds of years, but it's pretty remarkable considering that was sort of one of the central core uh, philosophies of Trek overall, let alone the Vulcans, right? Mm-hmm. And yet she's having this Quakmalak thing or whatever. The the she's invoked this ancient rite and oh yeah yeah, <laughs> ironically. Um, for some reason they decide to have this um this challenge on the ship as opposed to having it on the planet, which I thought was a bit of a missed opportunity. I think I would have liked to have seen this sort of merged culture on the planet. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think that was. Yeah. A, I mean, I, I guess I get it. You know, it's cheaper to just <laughs> put some tiki, well, tiki torches on the cutty kind of thing too, right? Yeah, it's it's quite possible. It, maybe it was that, or you know, again, it's just a lot cheaper to put a bunch of tiki torches on top of a, a one of the boardrooms as opposed to having them, uh, you know, build a whole new set to do that. But um, but I do feel like I kind of I wanted to see what this new planet was going to be like. Um, and, and as advertised, we, you know, we get a pretty hostile response as this thing gets kicked, kicked off. Vakir, the Vulcan uh, purist, is dismissive and says, you know, I, this is ridiculous. I don't think we should even have this thing. As a matter of fact, I move that we get rid of it. And Niraj, the Romulan, is saying, well, you know, I'm open to hearing what, what she has to say because, you know, it would be really nice if we didn't carry this guilt or blame around of having caused this because it's really it's hard as a society to think that we were responsible for so much death and and hardship and shira is very suspicious and and says you know i don't trust your motives i don't i don't know that i i believe you know you're here for why you say you're here so we are really running the gamut but they have this little sort of quick debate and in the end they basically say you know uh no we're not gonna we're not gonna dismiss this off you know right off the hop we are gonna actually have to listen to what she says um, we then cut to Tilly and Stamets and, uh, Tilly grabs Stamets and pulls him into the spore, uh, driver, driver's seat. What do you call that room? The chamber, spore chamber. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, oh my God, Saru just offered me the position of number one. And he sort of says, you know, really, <laughs> you know, and she says, you know, well, you know, how would you feel? And she's he's like, well, that would make you my, you know, commanding officer. And she says, well, but yeah, only in like position, not in rank. And she says, well, what do you think about having to take orders? me and he says well uh, to tell you the truth i think that'd be pretty weird and uh you know of course she you know she, she doesn't really give him a lot of time to, pr- to process it and he has to go off and, and sort of do his own thing again so we we cut back to the uh the hearing and um you know they're continuing to dress him down uh, dr- dress down michael um you know navarre data shows the burning the burn started there you know vakir says well why don't you believe like we're telling you this is the truth we think it's the truth why don't you just believe us and go away and, you know, uh, Shira says, you know, well, if you're if you're speaking for the Federation, if you're representing them, I don't trust you because, you know, I think what you're trying to do is get this information so you can basically restart these experiments again and, and try and use subspace again. And that's what caused it in the first place. And, and you're going to make things worse. Um when they're they're you know tearing her apart, you know Michael is you know trying to defend herself, and then Gabrielle kind of jumps on the bandwagon and is saying, you know, well, you know, I'm I'm here and I'm representing absolute candor. So she brings up the mutiny that leads to the death of George Ao. She brings up the demotion, which just happened recently, and she starts you know uh, highlighting all these things and basically pushing her and using this sort of personal information to to um, you know 
push Michael out, you know, and make her even more vulnerable, um, you know, pointing out she's, you know, you're never a Vulcan, you're human through and through, your upbringing left you vulnerable to emotional manipulation, and I think that's what's happened to you now. And, you know, Michael being Michael, Michael being the hero and being a very smart person, she starts to spin it around. She says, you know, hey, listen, Mom, you know, back off. She said, did, you know, did the Federation give me a mission and a purpose? Did they give me a home and a family? Did, you know, did we risk our lives to save the universe? You know, have yeah, I been given... you, Mom? Yeah, yeah, really, like, you know, how about you step off, Mom? <laughs> and, you know, she says, you know, we've got a mandate to solve the biggest problems. You know, that's what our ship is here for. We're fighting for the greater good. And, you know, Gabrielle comes back with, well, why are you struggling with where you belong? Why are you in this quandary about, you know, whether or not you belong with Starfleet? Why are you feeling like this, especially in the week, the wake of last week, right? And she starts to get, you know, emotional and says, I, I don't know, but, you know, maybe maybe the stakes are just higher. Maybe I'm afraid of doing it wrong. Maybe I'm afraid of losing everyone again. Maybe, you know, mm. I just, I'm not ready for the, the weight of all this. And she basically... Is it, is it too early to say I don't believe Burnham, Burnham for a minute? Well, we can talk about that a little bit, but, um, but the idea is that she then is providing absolute candor. And Vakir says, you know, well, you know, we want stability and peace. And Shira says, well, you know, we're here to decide based on scientific evidence, not based on what our society wants. And Niraj says, you know, listen, you know what? I'm tired of Vulcans. I'm tired of Vulcans being like this. I think this is the right thing to do. And if the if the Vulcans won't share the information, Romulans will. And it sort of starts to devolve and it starts to show the cracks in this very still, you know, hundreds of years later, fraught society that is struggling to hold it together and become one. And um, and Burnham just sort of says, you know what? This is not what my brother would have wanted. He brought you together because you belong together. He wanted this culture to succeed. And I am not going to be the one who drives a wedge between you. And so she withdraws her request. She says, it's not worth it. I'm, I'm not doing this. And she says, you know what? We don't need you guys. We will find a different way. We will go. I will keep looking. I will get all the data I can. I will find more black boxes and I will send the data to Navarre. And maybe someday you'll be convinced. I'll just have so much data that you'll have to agree that I'm right. So we then cut to Gabrielle and Michael and, you know, we get a real sort of, you know, mother daughter moment. She says, you know, you don't have to choose between who you are and who you were. You know, she talks about the difference between duty and joy and, and finding those things that make you happy and the things that, you know, give you comfort. And, um, you know, she says it's because of that, you know, that you impressed the president and Tarina has decided to give you the data. You don't need to go through this process. So she hands her. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, just to interject here, mm -hmm. the, the, I was looking at the, the Vulcan woman's, the president face mm -hmm. during this part where, you know, Burnham is making her last little speech there. And, you know, Vulcans are in my book, they're all supposed to be sort of logical and, you know, like, like not showing any kind of emotion. And she was showing like the actor was showing a lot of sympathy in her face, I thought, you know. But then we don't like know she, what her heritage is directly either, right? No, we don't true, know if she is purely it is 900 years in the future Vulcan. after all, right, I guess. Yeah. Well, and again, she theoretically but I, but, I could, but like, you know, you say you telegraph things in the writing. I telegraphed something in the acting. I could tell that that was where this was going to go, yeah. right? Yeah. But again, yeah. maybe we're supposed to infer from that that, you know, the Vulcans aren't quite the Stoics that they were. That maybe there is a slight change. Although we do see from the other character, 
Vikir, um, what was his name? To oh, Vikir, Vikir, yeah, Vikir is very much what we're used to seeing from a, a Vulcan, purely logical, very yeah. stoic. It sounded a lot like um, like uh, like the guy who played uh, Tuvok too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Tim Russ, yeah, Tim Russ, yeah, yeah. So we, uh, she gets the data. She's happy, and then you know her mom reveals the you know I, I'm not I'm not going with you guys. I'm, I I know I'm human, and I know you've been looking for me, but this is where I belong now. I belong with the the Quat Malat, and um, you know, and she gives her the great line. You know, you don't need me. You're not a lost cause, which is you know it's good writing. Um, we cut to back to engineering, and Tilly walks through the door, and there we see uh, most of the senior staff standing there, and they one by one tell her you know say yes you you should be the number one say yes uh we'd follow you anywhere you know and you know michael comes in behind her and she says you know i just i really wanted your blessing and she said you, you don't need my blessing you don't you don't need that i'm not going anywhere you know i'm gonna be here i'm gonna support you and you know you be the number one and so you know tilly hikes up her britches and says all right here's my first order you take that data to the science lab you solve the burn and you help us rebuild the federation um you know lots of smiles lots of clapping uh, wait did we miss the yes part yeah that's right did, yes. did i miss the part where we all say yes damn um and then we cut to uh saru and tarina for uh, a nice little little moment where you know they clearly have developed a kinship she has earned he he has earned her respect which i think is a really interesting um development and and again the way that he was very measured and very um uh, thoughtful and and put a really good first foot forward for this reunification um you know she sort of says you know let's let's keep let's keep talking let's let's keep the dialogue between us open you know not just between uh navarre and the federation but between you and i um and then we finish the episode with michael back with book and he sort of says you know well you're you're not you're not leaving are you and she says no i i'm not i, I belong here and and, you know, then the question becomes, well, what about you? What is what does that mean for you? And he says, I don't know, but you feel like home. So now we're left with the next big question mark, which is, you know, what? How does book fit in on a Federation starship? Right, right. The yeah, end. He'll, he'll uh, fly the what do you call that ship on the DS Nine? The the Defiant. Defiant. He'll he'll be the Defiant of, of Discovery. Yeah. He'll go off on on the pirate missions and stuff. I, and again, having there. seen his bedroom in there now, I'm going to start calling it the Pimp Mobile. That thing is awesome. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Sure. What'd you guys think? Big episode. Lots of stuff. Yeah. A lot. Again, a lot to unpack. Like you said, um, a lot of crossover, sort of Easter eggy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, between the two, like not just not just the next generation, not just uh, you know the last season of Discovery, but also pulling in the Picard stuff. You know, the the order of uh, what's the order that um, with the absolute candor. Oh, you the Kuat Malat. Yeah. We even had an episode called Absolute Candor in our own show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that. And the scene, the, the storyline with Tilly was sort of, that's what I was sort of saying. It was very much like a Lower Decks kind of uh, episode, like, a, you know, the B plot, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or C plot, whatever it was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. It's, it's from a production point of view, I could see why, given, you know, the constraints of where we are in this day and age, um, why they could, they want to try and do things in smaller groups, right? Mm-hmm. There were an awful lot of people in that room in, in the, you know, they were, they were socially, I don't know if you noticed, but they were all, uh, they were all. Um, what do you call it uh, socially distanced in the in the <laughs> courtroom there except for the, the audience they seem to be kind of close together but uh, everybody was standing res- respectful you know three meters apart you know <laughs> um, so that that could have been filmed I don't, are, they're not filming the current stuff right now in Toronto are 
they? They're yeah, filming they are. the second half of the season. Uh, they, well, they're filming season four now in Toronto. Oh, season. Oh, are they? Oh, yes. okay, okay. Yeah. Right. So this is all in the can already. Oh so yes. It was all shot before before the pandemic, I guess. Well, I don't know about the timing. Maybe this was this could have been towards like when we were actually in the bubbles and stuff too. So yeah. Well, compared to the Enterprise, the you know the the, the deck of the Discovery is a lot very respectably distanced in terms of how people are standing <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, so a little insight into the design of the future can we build this in a way that is socially distanced yeah yeah well when you think about when you think about the the uh starships that we currently have like the you know the iss and and you know the capsules that went to the moon and stuff like that they were pretty cramped in there you know mm-hmm. or even even the dragons that go up to the space station now they're they're, they're pretty much on top of each other literally right mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know it's um but coming back to the show there was a lot of yeah, there's a lot of hoke in there too i mean like like we were calling Burnham on the fact that, you know, like she's a convicted criminal, she's a mutineer, she's killed people, she's through her action or inaction, she's caused people to die. You know, um, she's been demoted, she's been promoted, she's been demoted again, you know, so she's an escapee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's there's a lot of questionable things about her. And and uh, you know, I, I get that we're watching Star Trek and it's supposed to be you know, the whole supposed to be like, you know, the whole prime director thing that they had in in the, the original series in this series you know we're supposed to take burnham at her word that oh i'm only doing this for the greater good you know i don't know i think you know the way people work i think that she actually is doing this for herself too like that's probably her main motivation like why you know like everybody else in the world seems to be okay with the fact that it was a burn and they don't know how it happened why is she why is she so obsessed with you know fixing the fen- the enterprise what is it he says um uh, messy you have a messianic drive he says in the very first scene mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know like you want to be the messiah and you want to be the savior of the the whole thing like it's it's funny that it's not called star trek michael burnham it's called star trek discovery mm-hmm. right but it might as well be called star trek michael burnham because it seems like every single story and every plot in this entire thing has all revolved around her right yeah like the whole series the whole three seasons so far you know we have these other characters who get to have a life but they're not you know they're not uh we've had you know exposition series shows like the one where Saru goes to his home planet and gets discovered by Georgiou and you know um, the the very first episode with Georgiou and and, um, Burnham are together as you know captain and number one right Mm -hmm. so yeah so it's and then we had the whole Christopher Pike thing but I mean it's always she's always been the center of the show right so I mean was that sort of explained to us from the very from the get-go I can't remember you remember I think it was in the premise when they were talking about that this is a little different it's not from the captain's sort of point of view. It's less of an mm-hmm. ensemble and more of a main character. Uh, so this episode I thought was was kind of interesting in a uh, a budget friendly sort of way of like we didn't <laughs> unlike Trill, which we got to see. We didn't see Navarre. It was like all right, everybody here in the conference room, <laughs> just pack them in. Um, but otherwise, I thought uh, there was a, a missed opportunity to have Jet Reno's uh, Tignataro's character have a little bit of cynicism in the in the say yes thing to be like nah kid I, I I like you but you know I've got like boils on my feet that are older than you or you know but you know, there's <laughs> people seem to be going with it so I'll, I guess I'll go with the two sort of thing right it's kind of a, a a very prickly pear kind of personality I was waiting for one of them to say no or eh, okay sure you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they all did the say yes thing right yeah it was sweet it was again Tilly's just such an endearing character but practically though practically though we talked about this last week like oh, she makes no the sense. most logical yeah. <laughs> she makes no sense. Yeah. And, and I think that's why it's acting, right? It's like, all right, Saru's like, I really 
don't know who to choose. I kind of do need somebody I can trust. And he probably suspected there'd be a support system underneath, right? As uh, as, uh, as the uh, the first officer, the, the role is to carry out what the captain needs, right? And to be a little bit of a gut check for the captain. But largely, uh, if captain is on, on deck, they don't have to make the decisions. They, they carry them out, right? So it, yeah. it could be safely done. I do think it is kind of riskier. Um, I was betting on uh, um, uh, Nielsen. Lieutenant Cancon? I, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Lieutenant unfortunate accident about to happen sort of thing, you know. <laughs> Why wouldn't they make Stamets the, the number one? He sort of seems more senior than all of them, right? That so one I could see, but he's also... It, it, there's that, but I was thinking, well, they also need him to be in the spore drive, right? Yeah. He can't be, yeah. can't be carrying out the will of the captain uh, when he's the one who, like, needs to drive the ship. Yeah. They could put, like, a bat pole in, on the bridge so he could just, you know, slide down the bat pole when he needed to. <laughs> Well, I love the goodwill. Obviously, they, you know, they make a point of having everybody be there so that they can be like, hey, you know, everybody's on board so that you don't think that there's any ill will. But there's got to be some ill will there. People well, are I was like, going to say, like, in the next one-on-one meeting with Saru, like, I'm sure Detmer's going to be going, what the F, man? Like, I, I landed the ship. <laughs> <laughs> and you did a really good job. And we kind of need somebody with that skill. It's like, dang it, I was too good at my job and pigeonholed. I just heard Jaime applying for the HR role at uh <laughs> headquarters <laughs> listen we love your work we're really happy about that not killing everybody when the ship crashed thing but we're gonna have a bit of a problem here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it'll be interesting to see how it plays out i mean they explicitly say it's an interim role so are we supposed to infer that later this season or down the road michael will retake that in an appropriate manner uh tilly will be incapacitated michael will help out whatever uh until he gets kidnapped or i hate to think they'd kill her off but who knows yeah but michael burnham is out of control like in a lot of cases looking looking at her from a manager's point of view you know like she goes off on these rogue missions you know she invokes this archaic vulcan thing that only she knows about that pisses off an entire nation you know like of of, of pisses off a whole planet you know mm-hmm. causes all this added expense of having these you know high you know high paid vulcans come up to the ship and you know, from that point of view, you know, she's, she's, you know, an accident waiting to happen kind of thing. She's, you know, yeah. she takes risks. Yep. She's risky. She's right? the loose cannon. Yeah, loose cannon. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess we'll see. I mean, you know. Uh, I mean, it is a TV show after all, it, right? It is. It is. Uh, you know, and obviously these things are meant to have their sort of, you know, ups and downs and, you know, uh, it, we, it's funny. I think this whole thing fell into the same category that we talked about previously. This, this episode has been a bit of a breakneck speed. You know, she had this sort of crisis of who she is and is is who she is now after being away from the ship for a year the same person that she was before and you know can she fit back in they resolved all that again really fast like now we're supposed to be like and she's good that's right pretty fast it's pretty fast yeah you know like i get that these are short seasons but yeah she really went from existential crisis to like i love it here in like an episode and a half Mm -hmm. mm-hmm They spread out the uh, the hold my beer into uh, micro doses throughout the season. I think instead of <laughs> saving it all for the end. Yeah, yeah. No big. Uh, I honestly didn't find out of this one that I had a lot of sort of you know oh, I don't get it or why or like this one was. <sighs> 
it was a satisfying episode. I enjoyed it very much. But again, it didn't really take me anywhere I wasn't expecting to go either. Maybe the Tilly thing, I guess, was the only thing that I was like, huh, how about that? They went there. Um, And I guess the idea that we've sort of resolved the mystery of her mom, although I can't say that was a particularly satisfying payoff. But did you not find, though, in, in other episodes of Star Trek that the Vulcans are a little, they're hard to predict what they'll say. And yet when they do say something, it's very logical. It's very logical. It makes a lot of a lot of reason, you know, behind it. Mm. You know, mind you, we had a we had a, a Romulan here who was there for sort of to, to have the sort of explosive, you know, drop the ball, screw it, we'll give you the information, kind of, you know, and then everybody stands up and you know, starts throwing their their Klingon ale around, right? Mm-hmm. Romulan ale, I guess it is. Yeah. So, do we think that uh, there's still brew Romulan ale on uh, Navarre, <laughs> or would maybe, that be illogical? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I, I, again, like the whole Romulan. I mean, the whole thing about the Romulans was uh, they they have the same genetic makeup as Vulcans, but they were very much, you know, bloodthirsty and like, you know, they were like the the, the Klingons of, of the Vulcan sort of line or lineage, right? Sarek's children or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we saw that like the Vulcans get real bloodthirsty too. They just suppress it through their, their whole thing with logic. Like I thought this whole trial was going to involve like poles with blades on them sort of thing. The pun far. Yeah. Yes. Pun far. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. Again, it was it was satisfying to have gotten some more background, and I think every episode so far has been satisfying in that you know the big mystery is what is the future of this universe that we've been fans of for fifty years? You know, where does it go? That far flung future and everything else. And I by the same token, though, if you look at our Earth's history, right, a thousand years ago, we were quite different than we are now. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Like we're talking like. <laughs> like very different like in terms of what how we believed and you know how we communicated was like like a thousand years in the future we're gonna not we're not gonna be computing communicating the way we do now where everybody has to go to this box and look at a screen and stuff like that it's gonna be you know unimaginable differences right yeah you know so so a thousand years in the future of star trek it should be unimaginably different as well right yeah you know like like you, in the cells that don't need to be connected to the actual ship and what have you right yeah and instant tra- personal transporters just double double tap the personal transporter and away you go right good deal where do i sign up yeah i thought that the president and suru were gonna start necking at one point there <laughs> well i think there was a mild implication of that applying logic hmm? so i think there was a mild implication that you know yeah there was a little chemistry but i don't know if that was necessarily implied in a romantic sense or just a uh, kindred spirits you know we both wear the mantle of leadership kind of yeah you yeah know, kind of deal yeah mutual respect i guess yeah mm-hmm. like you said mm-hmm. in the show all right a good a good episode i mean you know i i will say it might have been a little ballsy to call it unification three <laughs> it was good i don't know that it was unification one and two good yeah that's true that's true that that well unification so wait wait unification the the spock um it was, it was a two-part stuff. episode so that it was unification that was one, one and two yes that was one and two yeah okay so yeah because i because i'm thinking like this is like the third unification right mm-hmm. yeah i don't know because hmm. it didn't seem very unified <laughs> no 
know. It seemed like there was some pretty on the surface kind of tensions going on there. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't veiled in any way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And and it's funny that the the one Vulcan had to sort of say that he was in charge, right? I thought the president was in charge of the proceeding or whatever, right? So yeah, she didn't even get a yeah. front row seat. What are you talking about? Hmm? They put her in the back corner. No, I know, but the three the three Vulcans that came to do the to be the council, right, or whatever they were called, yeah. forum, I guess, right? Yeah, uh, and that one of them is the lead guy. They never like it's kind of it's like when you're watching a movie and, and somebody's you know verbally explaining what they're doing because you know it, what they're doing doesn't make sense on the screen you know and, unless they expose that part of the story right you know what i mean like the the, the when the villain describes how he's going to kill james bond because you know that's part of the, the the story that you know we can't they can't portray in film you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah no mr bond i expect you to die anyway <laughs> um all right let's move on to our watch lists and uh i guess so I can go first. Yeah, I've got a couple here. First one, uh, our household saw the New Mutants because we had a coupon for Redbox. So rather than $1.75, we got to see it for free. And it's near the grocery store that we would frequent anyway. So we, uh, we watched it. And I think it was, uh, I think it's worth a watch. I don't think it's going to be top notch. Uh, there are some, some quibbles and issues, but I think they had an interesting concept for how they were trying to do something different with what's essentially the X-Men mythos, right? It's, it's, it's different characters. It's, it's the new mutants side of it um well they had they had some ideas is that the one with the girl from uh, game of thrones yes, yes it is Maisie? yes it is yeah and the girl from the chess show you were just watching too oh yeah i haven't watched the new mutants yet yeah it's it's, it's worth a try um uh it, it is kind of weird how it sort of what was it jonathan like three years after it was supposed oh, yeah. to come out something like that yeah. it's been sitting in the can since like i think 2018 maybe yeah 2018 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's it's sort of weird from that perspective um i i don't know even if this had done well, I don't know how they would make a sequel because the the the, the gritty atmosphere was just so specific to the location they're in for the movie. Um, oh, it's a movie, not a show. That's right. It's it's a it's a movie. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I thought it was. A, I thought I had to get invested in it to watch it. No, no, no it's, it's like it's, a hour, it's a one-off. hour and a half, something yeah. like that. So yeah, not too bad. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, I think it was just a, supposed to be a way. Initially, when it was a Fox property, it was meant to be this sort of way of um, a new generation. Because again, it's it's uh yeah it's Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones it's uh the young man from um Stranger Things it's uh, Anna Taylor Joy so it's like all these young hot sort of Hollywood prospects and they were sort of putting them in this movie and they were trying to do sort of a horror movie basically around the X-Men and trying to sort of jumpstart this you know different post X-Men kind of X-Men verse uh but it just became this complete victim of all of its circumstances it was rumors about reshoots there was all these different things and then it got embroiled in the whole well how does it fit in with you know this acquisition it's too dark disney doesn't like it and yeah there's it was a whole backstory about this whole thing um but it is it is the coda too it's the last x-men movie pre- produced pre uh disney merger so this is sort of the last of the x-verse interesting all right cool so can we talk about ruining your childhoods now <laughs> <laughs> depending on the age of folks. doesn't ruin my childhood because this isn't way too old yeah but, so yeah. we've got the first teaser trailer it is 19 seconds long for Clifford the Big Red Dog. First look coming out in very late November to December 2021, depending where you are in the country or in the world. I hear not not happiness, Tim. So this, for those of you who haven't seen this, this is the uh, the live action style. So they've got the uh, eponymous Clifford, the, the very large, very red Labrador Retriever, I think he is. Um, 
up on the screen and I, I i didn't hear i didn't hear good things out of you tim you ruined your childhood has it not not interested in the um the clifford cinematic universe the ccu you heard it here first <laughs> where presumably the the post-credit scenes is uh is is miss frizzle saying you know i, I like the gumption you've got there kid uh, <laughs> uh collecting people in my magic school bus and uh you're a big red dog how do you feel about working with a brown bear and then fade to black <laughs> Yeah. I love the thought you put into this. I, mean. I, I spent way too much time trying to say, okay, I think I know what the scholastic <laughs> books are. I had to look it up and make sure. But Brown Bear, Brown oh, Bear, really? what do you see is in fact uh, <laughs> in the same uh, potential universe as Clifford. The same universe? I, I same do love C- this, the idea C-C-U? of the Scholastiverse. That's, uh, I like yeah, that. the Scholastiverse. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's great! So the reason I I mentioned it that way is because because I I saw the clip on on the social networks and then I re- I was just started reading through the comments and it was like all these people talking about how pretty much like I'm paraphrasing they were all saying their childhoods were being ruined by this this Labrador retriever that's been painted red you know or dyed red I was I, I own a red lab I don't know how I feel about that well this is like no this is like we're talking red right mm. not fox red mm. um so Jonathan this is I think Cliff was a little past your time, right? Oh, no. I I read the Clifford books when I was a little boy. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And you, Jaime? Yeah, that's what I was uh, sort of trying to remember because it's been a very, very long time and I guess I'm going to have to pick up a copy somewhere to remind myself from like the library or something. But I mostly yeah. remember the plot being, oh, no, this dog is too big and causes inconvenience. And, oh, it turns <laughs> out his bigness actually is useful in certain scenarios. Where the books essentially like, I mean, I don't remember the plot being very, very uh, sort of thick and full I don't of think twists they were very and turns. Deep, no, there was no time travel, and yeah, I think that's a no, pretty no succinct summary of the whole franchise. Yeah. <laughs> Dog big, big dog bad. Yeah, yeah. It's like the old joke, what's big and red and eats rocks? A big red rock eater? A big red rock eater, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, I remember that from when I was like grade three or something. <laughs> um, so my, uh, so we've talked about this before, uh, and this this is more related to, originally the original series, they, they did a lot of, uh, they, the writers would write stories in this, the reason why it was so popular at the time, in, besides all the hokiness that we see now in it and whatever, and basically every, every, every episode has a fight, Every episode has Kirk kissing somebody. You know, um, there's the, pl- the play between Kirk and McCoy and, Vol- and Spock, which evolves over time. Um, and, you know, and the fact that, you know, Kirk is the, the ego and, and uh, he's the id and, and um, uh, McCoy is the ego and, and Spock is the superego, right? Um, but a lot, of, a lot of stories that they did and, you know, the skimpy clothing and, and the, the, racial, the racial kissing and the open mouth kissing and stuff like that that they put into the show uh, was put in there a lot of times to hide the actual story that the, the episode was talking about in to hide it from the censors right they would they would do things intentionally to get the the censors upset so they actually sneak a story through so there's a couple of episodes in in i mean it's, it's pretty much obvious to us now there's a couple of episodes around the vietnam war and how the writers felt about the you know the fact that you know the americans shouldn't go and get involved in somebody else's conflict right um there's a couple of episodes like that there's an episode 
episode where there's a Jack the Ripper um, plot line where, where Scotty is basically, you know, every time he's near a woman who ends up dead, he's, and he's sitting there with a knife in his hand kind of thing. But Jack the Ripper is apparently the, the, the creep there. There's one from DS9, which I don't, I don't think I've seen this episode, which is around what's really at Area 51 in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently it's a Ferengi shuttle yeah. because Quark and Nog and um, his brother, what's his brother's name again? Stem or something? What's, what's Quark's brother? Rom. Rom. Yeah, the three of them were out on a, a thing and they end up in a, in, a, I guess in a time loop and they end up back in Area 51. Um, there's a couple more there's, uh, episodes about the riots, which they covered in, in Deep Space Nine as well, um, like Attica and that kind of stuff. There's episodes about the Troubles, as they call them in England, with the IRA versus, you know, the British Army. And um, there's an episode, Anastasia, I think it's called, is was a sort of a, a the next generation plot line. Um, and uh, let's see, there's some, there's like, uh, I think I mentioned Attica already, the Iran, Iraq, there's uh, shooting down a, a civilian plane. There's an episode where Worf is sort of accused of knocking down something. Um, of course, then there's also the fear of machines where, you know, in the in the 60s, people were afraid of computers. And so there's the episode where they install M1, M5 into the Enterprise and they send all the crew away and just Kirk and Spock and trying to figure this thing out. And yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of lots of uh, parallels between that. But uh, like, oh, and, and uh, Praxis is uh, is an allegory to Chernobyl mm. um, and, you know, the, the undiscovered country where where the Romulans decide that they want to have peace with the Federation. And um, they even, I forget the name, Chancellor Gorgon is is parallel to Gorbachev, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think Chernobyl led towards, I think, the, the sort of softening of Russia and, and, and relations with the United States and stuff like that, right? So which is where the parallel in, in that storyline comes from, right? But I think we, we probably would have talked about, if we were doing a show about those particular things, we probably would have found those parallels too. But we've mentioned before on the show that a lot of episodes from Star Trek were um, based in real events, and this is a video that's put together by somebody on YouTube that talks about exactly those things. So, hmm. Yeah, cool. over to you, Jonathan. Well, oh yes, the macaroons. Oh, put Jaime, put your put your uh, yeah. Jaime, sound I, I, I have not seen the show, and I was like, is this a real thing, or did they just Photoshop something in there <laughs> and say, hey, this color scheme shows up? I, I literally don't know. It's not even spoilers because oh, I wasn't these? sure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll lay it out here. So, uh, yeah, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Sorry, Jaime. We'll, we'll try and keep them to a minimum here. But in last week's episode of The Mandalorian, there is a very cute scene where, uh, you know, there, there's a running joke about the fact that the child or baby Yoda, as he's otherwise known, is mm-hmm. always hungry. He's always trying to eat stuff. And at one point he gets left in a classroom and uh, there's a little boy sitting next to him and the little boy is eating these blue cookies. And... Uh, you know, baby Yoda sort of gives him this, you know, wide-eyed, imploring look and the kid basically says, you know, no, these are my cookies. And then we see him concentrate really hard and the cookies just happen to appear in his hand. Next thing you know, there's a, a shot of him just sitting there eating the, the cookies. So, in the spirit of crossovers, the good folks at Williams-Sonoma have got these cookies now available. So you can go to Williams-Sonoma and you can mm-hmm. order the very same Navarro nummies that uh, the, the child eats in the show however this being william sonoma and everything i would like you to both uh in case you unless you've already taken a look the cost of uh a oh it's cr- incredibly ridiculous package high, of yeah. cookies yeah this is it well don't forget it's 50 percent off tomorrow because of black friday right okay
okay. Five <laughs> percent back if you get their rewards card. Oh, oh sure. Otherwise, it is four dollars and let's call it sixteen cents per macaroon. I calculated out it, in the in the summary. It says twelve of them is how many comes in the box. You get twelve cookies for fifty oh, okay. U.S. dollars. Yeah. Uh, and then assuming that means delivery is free, it says free shipping on here. So I assume if you live in the United States, they will send this to you for free. Uh, but yeah, basically four bucks a cookie for these cookies. How good would a cookie have to be to be four dollars good? And these aren't these aren't <laughs> like giant like Mrs. Fields giant cookies or something. This is like a little macaroon. A macaroon, exactly. And yeah, a blue yeah. one at that with blue icing. Yeah. Um, well, they sell a lot of Star Trek, Star Wars branded stuff at William Sonoma. You can get the Death Star toaster. Yeah. You know, I bought I bought gifts for you for stocking stuffers over the years. At William Sonoma. <laughs> I, I think as well, I actually right? have so. a set of um, of cookie presses that I got yeah, one cookie year. Cutters, yes. Cookie cutters. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. I can make like Millennium Falcon cookies and stuff like that. They they have come mm-hmm. from William Sonoma. And you can make Death Star ice cubes and. Yeah, yeah. I think I have the uh, the Han Solo and Carbonite ice cube maker right. too. Yes. yes, that may be that may be true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so if you feel like you're a big enough fan or you want to surprise someone who's a big fan of The Mandalorian, the Christmas gift you want to go for this year is uh, the Navarro Nummies Macaroons at Williams-Sonoma. We'll have the, uh, the link in the show notes for that. So when I was in Hawaii, I bought a pack of um, Game of Thrones Oreos. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they had the, the, still, the wolf on them, here. right? Yeah, the, they have the houses on them in the back. Awesome. Yeah. Did you eat them? I, I don't know. No, they're still here. I still they're, they're in my my collector's drawer. <laughs> I have a uh, I have a box of cereal that I bought back in the '90s when the Blue Jays won the World Series. They did a commemorative oh, really? Rice Krispies box with Snap Crackle Pop and the Blue Jays holding the World Series championship trophy. Really? Wow. And I still have that box in a box in my uh, in my like a Rubbermaid container. But damned if those wow. Rice Krispies aren't still in the box. Yeah. Wow. Gross. I have a can of Spam here as well, but I also have a can of Spam-a-lot Spam. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. As you do. As you do. Yes, indeed. Uh, and the last thing is, uh, this is a little outside of the sci-fi milieu, but um, there's an excellent program on Showtime in the United States. Here it's available on Crave in Canada. Uh, it is a, a documentary, a five-part documentary about the Comedy Store, the legendary Los Angeles uh, stand-up comedy venue. And I sat down and started watching it last week. I'm a huge uh, stand-up comedy fan, have been my whole life. And it is made by Mike Binder, who's uh, a, an actor, a director, a writer, somebody you'd recognize if you saw. He was very um, popular in the 1970s and 80s. Um, he did an HBO series for a few years called Mind of the Married Man. And he has done this, basically, he was one of the regulars there in the 70s. And he's gotten all of these people. It is an incredible number of very famous uh, comedians who have come through there and made their way through that club and then onto The Tonight Show or onto sitcoms. And this place was just a factory for producing, um, you know, top line talent over the years. You know, this was the the home of Richard Pryor, Robin Williams, you know, Chappelle, um, you know, just name after name after name, you know, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, you know, this was where these guys got their comedy chops and um and it's a brilliant it's really really interesting thing it's talking the first few episodes are talking about the how it started uh it was uh originally owned by Polly Shore's parents and really wow. his parents split and his mom basically said like all I want is the comedy club because I love these people and I love this place and she took it and she ran it and she ran it for the next like 35 years and um so yeah it was basically hers Mitzi Shore 
ran this place. And, really? um, wow. you know, that's where Polly got started. That's where he, you know, rubbed elbows with his stuff. It talks about all this amazing history about, you know, the sort of the rise of Freddie Prinze, uh, right. the, the yeah. actor in the seventies and how that was his club and how he started. And, uh, and of course his tragic, uh, suicide later on. And, and, mm-hmm. um, it's just an absolutely fascinating thing. Jay Leno, David Letterman are on it, uh, talking about their rise through the club, how it was this conduit to the Tonight Show, how uh, Johnny Carson would mention on the show that this actor, uh, this performer had been found at the comedy store. And so all these people who wanted to be comedians would just migrate to this place and hang out and try and become stars by hanging out there and getting to know people and working on their sets. And Yeah. Have you seen the show called I'm Dying Up Here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same idea. It's same. Well, same thing. And Goldie is the character there who runs the show. But yeah, yeah it sounds sounds very almost and same thing conduit to, to the tonight show yeah right? so. yeah but it, it just an absolutely fascinating documentary series and um man just like loaded loaded like every living comedian and even they've got some archive footage of like robin williams and different people talking about this as well they've got all this footage from the tonight show and and it's just amazing it's amazing to see all this history that's come through this one place um highly recommend very very cool especially if you're a comedy buff very very cool series cool yeah to watch it well i guess that's it for another week so hey uh, jonathan if people want to get in touch with you where would they find you i'm on twitter and instagram is at jpk news all right and how many people get in touch with you i'm on twitter is at dev with the hair all right my name is timitra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a on the twitter machine is where you'll find me and so until next time we'll see you in the future bye, bye. you've been listening to the spotcast podcast this is john luke picard shut up wesley sorry say again just the tag gotcha if you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes visit the spotcast website at spotcast.com you can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on twitter at spotcast if you have feedback or questions send us a tweet with the hashtag ask spotcast if you like the show please consider recommending us to a friend writing a review on itunes or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast you can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. After show, I did watch. Um, I just today I just binged uh, Truth Seekers. Oh yeah, how'd you like it? Really interesting. Well, interesting show. I mean, it's interesting in the UK sort of sensibility to things is quite different than oh, yeah. than than uh, North American. Mind you, I've not really watched a lot of those paranormal shows that you have on cable TV. I assume they're very similar to this sort of thing. But uh, yeah, really well done. I mean, you know, lots of really funny and and sort of like the there were, each show had it's sort of subplot and then but it all kind of wrapped into an overarching story mm-hmm. right so 
Yeah, interesting. The, the guy from sorry, it, yeah, interesting the way they use Simon Pegg too. He sort of ties yeah. it together, but he's not really featured. Yes, yes, and 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 I and I'm a big Kelly McDonald fan. I too, love so. Kelly McDonald. Oh my god, I have such yeah. a mad crush yeah. on Kelly McDonald. Yeah, yeah. Ever since Trains, oh, right? absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so she was a good welcome surprise in there too, and she sort of had the sort of um, um, what was it being John Malkovich kind of thing? Where, oh, yeah, what's she, the name of the? Yeah, she comes off as quite the nutter, right? She's got that yeah, weird, yeah. you know. And, yet she's not right so um and you know the the dude from mighty bush not the um yep. not noel feeling the other guy yep. uh as as a sort of the the villain kind of guy right so and of course malcolm mcdowell's you know he's great and everything right so yeah it's a good role for him too like it's a it's a, yeah. a different sort of thing that we usually see him he usually plays very um you know uh, confident and swaggery and this one he's sort of you know not that and and the relationship between him and the nick frost character is really interesting too i thought yeah yeah but. and helen and, and the um helen and elton john are really good too really <laughs> good actors right? so, yeah his, his real name is Lionel Lionel Richie, Richie. yeah it's one, of, yeah. it's one of the best gags but, uh, yeah and uh um, and the girl who's the, the, the main, the main MacGuffin, I guess, mm-hmm. we'll call her for now, right? Mm-hmm. She's a really interesting character, too. Yeah, no, again, it's it's, it's a strange series. Like I say, it straddles a weird line between, like, it, yeah. there are times when it's genuinely a little creepy. Yes. Like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. the music, I thought, was, like, very interesting, the way they play the music in it. It does. Yeah, it's very subtle, It's right? very subtle, but it's a little unsettling. And there are times where, yeah. like, I'd be watching it, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'd be like, damn, that's a little creepy. And then, you know, and then there's the whole, you know, then they told like a joke about like having to do the spell where they have to drink a glass of urine you know like it's yeah it's sort of goofy and and nutty but it's also yeah it's it's really well done i, I thought it was definitely worth uh making the effort for the first season and, and it seems like it's teed up obviously pretty perfectly for a second season mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and again really digestible too like each episode's what like 30 35 minutes 30 minutes yeah and the mix of technology too like they even they even bring in the current cell technology into into play and uh, you know, plus the old you know wartime radio stuff, and and the mix between the you know analog radio to digital sort of transitions and stuff like that was really 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 well done. Mm-hmm. And what was the name of the, the van they drive? Um, dark side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dark side's a van. Can I drive yeah. dark side? You'll never drive dark side. You'll never drive dark side. Yes. Which which you know of course is foreshadowing, right? Yeah. I mean, you'll yeah, have to add that to your, your list. Yeah. Yeah. What what channel would he watch that on? Amazon, right? Prime. It's Prime. Yeah. Amazon Prime. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 He, can, he, he can watch that now. He doesn't have to wait. Yeah. Are you kidding? Jaime's now waiting for his uh, socialized sci-fi to arrive. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the Mandalorian. I think if I subscribe on December 15th, <laughs> Right. By the time season three, that means that I'll I'll have to binge to catch up to watch the finale of season two uh, with everybody else, and that gives me just enough time to watch WandaVision premiere on January fifteenth. So that might might work. And then you'll be roped in. You have to get come back for that second month. Right. Yeah. Then you can watch all the making behind the scenes of stuff from season one. Yeah. I mean, so they're like half hour episodes. So each season is like four hours. Yeah. Oh, I finally got to watch Jojo Rabbit too. Speaking of uh, Taika Waititi, who directs a couple of the 
goes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? That's good. It wasn't what I was expecting from the trailers, uh, you know, because I think a lot of the trailers made it seem like, you know, he's a little Nazi kid and there's the humor, right? But it was not to be. It was quite quite different. Mm. Very enjoyable. Sort of um, reminded me a bit of, uh, of um, uh, Wes Anderson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His yeah. style. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. That sort of black humor-ish kind of thing, right? So I love the part where he, he dispatches with Hitler at the end of the movie, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's some yeah. good, uh, there's some definitely good parts of it. I like the way it's shot. I like, I've seen a few of, of uh, Waititi's films and I enjoy his filmmaking style. Um, yeah. I certainly, I, I, I get what you're going for with a Wes Anderson comparison, although I think Anderson's still a, a, a stronger filmmaker just visually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but I, his sense of humor, his sort of, um, his sort of view of the world is, I think, quite enjoyable. Well, it's a bit inglorious bastards too, in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the way it's, the way it's dire- art directed and filmed and things, right? So, yeah. Um, it has, it has a good, you know, it's not your typical war, World War Two movie, right? So, which, you know, we've, we've had a billion of, right, over the years, right? Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's another one. It sort of straddles a strange line and it's like a little dark at times, especially for a movie starring, you know, one child and, and starring children. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It goes to some pretty dark places. Yeah. Yeah. Not- yeah. It's, it's funny, the relationship. And it, that's just it. I mean, it's almost told from a point of view of a 10 year old, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Which is sort of because it's basically his the first personal view of him right so mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's good cool stuff cool movie mm-hmm. oh i did watch aquaman too yeah <laughs> finally caught up on that one it was okay i mean you know like i said bag of popcorn it blows up good yeah oh and belushi i watched belushi that was a really good movie yeah it's a documentary actually about john belushi's life mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting you know because i because I, I you know i grew up during that whole period of time right and um i didn't realize like like you know the tension between him and chevy chase and and all that kind of stuff and then the the, the rise to start him through the movies and stuff and you know and then his sort of addictive personality which led to his demise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh yeah it was interesting and his sort of tension with lauren michaels as well which you know you really didn't get the sense of right but uh yeah but it's really easy to see where the the whole blues brothers thing came from and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff right so yeah, it's a good 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 uh documentary they talked to all the people who knew him mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like his, his ex-wife uh, or his wife i guess and dan Aykroyd and all the all the stars and uh, Lauren Michaels and stuff like that, right? So yeah, yeah, it's really well done. And his brother Jim Belushi as well. Yeah, yeah. So Jaime, what are you doing with your uh, your long weekend? I think we're going to try to figure out what we're going to binge or the HBO Max stuff that we're getting free this weekend. My mm. So there's two different schools of thought. There is my school of thought, which is, okay, anything that's a single season is probably better because then we're not left hanging. If if the, the whole purpose is to delay using HBO Max until Wonder Woman arrives, right? Mm. So I'm like, all right, well, we could do Watchmen. We could do um, The Undoing, which means we would have to binge mm. the five episodes I think um, that are already out and then we can watch with everybody else the final episode on Sunday uh, there are alternative beliefs in the household of like oh maybe we should watch it succession even though I'm like well that's two seasons it's kind of hard to binge in one weekend um, so we'll, we'll see what ends up happening uh, Westworld I guess also qualifies in there because we only have one season to catch up on just season yeah, three I'd say if you're going to make the effort for any of those things I would hi- put my highest recommendation behind Watchmen that was fantastic yeah. yeah, I wouldn't. I would. I would. If you can skip anything, I would skip um, Westworld. Okay, good. Good to know. <laughs> have that, you that watched helps. any Westworld, or have you watched first two seasons, but not not the third season? Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I didn't make it all the way through the third season. I have to go back and watch. Yeah, third season it's okay. It's it's not great, but there's some there's some cool stuff, and it does you know it comes together a little bit. It it kind of meanders, but um, but man, Watchmen is fantastic television, like really top notch. Mm-hmm. So is there um, crave this or crave the same as their HBO? Yeah, what 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 is on HBO in the states? Not HBO Max, to be fair. We have mm. access to a pretty rich catalog of HBO back catalog stuff, but we don't have um, some of the exclusives that they put on HBO Max because they have a, a broader mm-hmm. um, back catalog down there. But as far as the new, like the stuff that is like an HBO produced piece of content, we have it all through Crave here. If you have the Crave plus uh, HBO package. Yeah. Oh, I did watch the first episode of Moonbase 8. I, I think you can pass on that one, too. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't wasn't high on my list. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't hold up against... Um, uh, e- well, I mean, even Avenue Avenue 5 or whatever is better than that hmm. so far. I mean, yeah, it was all right. It wasn't wasn't the kind of comedy I was expecting, comedy gold I was expecting from Fred Armisen and... and uh, what's his name that I can never remember? It was John Riley? John Riley, yeah. John C. Riley. Yeah, yeah I, that one has didn't really inspire me. That was lower on the, on the to-do list. Have you watched... The, his dark materials yet john no and i saw that season two started and i i intended to catch up on season one thinking oh maybe i'll get into season two and now i uh feel like it's just gonna pile up on me i like a lot of the performers that the um the star is the young woman who played the lead in that um the last wolverine movie right mm-hmm. uh, da- daphne keen daphne keen yeah the 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 where she is like 13 14 um, yeah she plays the next yeah and she was fantastic in that like a real revelation so um that's enticing and then uh what's her name from uh ruth ruth wilson from uh luther right is one of the stars mm-hmm. and i love yeah, her i like her i, I like love her, her yeah, a lot yeah, yeah. um so yeah it's it's been on the on the you know two watch next list i actually have it like marked on crave as you know watch this i did actually i i sat down last weekend i watched um harley quinn the harley quinn and the birds of prey or uh, oh, yeah, fabulous emancipation of the uh, is it worth it it's uh, ugh, I, is it a rental <laughs> it's okay it's okay it's kind of like suicide squad it, it's a lot of flash and not a lot of substance okay yeah you know it's it's shot well and I, and i'm fully supportive again like she's the star it's mostly female cast uh written by a woman directed by a woman uh produced mm-hmm. by margot robbie herself like i am fully supportive of all those things that being said it's not a great movie um it's it's good hmm. it's certainly watchable and you know the character like she's fun she's fun as that character but you know it it's just kind of one note over and over again it's like well she's kind of a scumbag but you know she's kind of got mm-hmm. a good heart and then it's like oh, she kind of doesn't and i don't know it just it doesn't it's a premise that doesn't last for an entire film yeah i watched that um i Tanya movie oh i like that one i thought that she was she yeah. was good in that really yeah, i loved yeah, yeah. um Oh, what's her name from the West Wing? Yeah, Allison Allison Janney. Janney. Oh my God, she's so good in that movie. Like, she well, she yeah. won the Oscar for that, right? She won the uh, Best yeah. Supporting Actress Oscar for that. But she is yeah. wonderful as that monstrous mother of hers. Yeah. By the way, I'm seeing all the all these um, James Bond movies on Crave. Are they are they all the re- high res re resed versions? Or I don't know. I don't know if Crave offers 4K. Okay, because because like all the because I I heard that the Bond stuff's all out on Blu-ray now. It's all out on 4K, and if you have the iTunes version, okay. there 
they're all 4k too so um i know i bought the the whole james bond i had them on blu-ray but i was like "Uh, do i upgrade to the 4k but then one week sometime in the last six months they put them on sale the whole digital box set i think it was not not a lot like 70 bucks or 75 bucks or something like that for like 25 movies it worked out to like four dollars a movie or some some fool amount like that and i was like done just done um so i have the whole 4k catalog of those now and um yeah it's they're they look amazing that they're on the itunes store yeah yeah they've got them broken down you can get like the full box set that has every single movie or you can get them by actor so you can get like just the Connerys or just the Moors or just the Brosnans oh, okay, yeah. uh, or just right. the Craigs. You can, you can get just the Jim, Timothy Daltons. Um, mm-hmm. But by the time well, you break down like the cost, the Star Trek ones where they give you those for free, right? Yeah, yeah. By the time you break down the cost, you're like, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. It's the same thing we talked about with that uh, Star Trek box set, right? Where it's like, you know, it's twenty bucks for for ten movies. You're like, well, I guess I'll I'll own a copy of one, three, five. Uh, you know, it's a, okay. Well, I guess I own those now. I just did that actually this week. They had a iTunes has a big sale here in Canada this week where there are a bunch of movies on sale. And, you know, my my price point is usually about five bucks is what I would pay for like a permanent 4K copy of a movie that I can download onto my hard drive and have. And um, I saw the Beverly Hills Cop movies were in a set and I was like, I don't really care for the third one. But by the time you break the price down, it's like $15 a movie each or $15 for all three of them. You're like, well, I guess I own Back to the Future. I own uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3 now. So where is the sale on, on iTunes? Is it for Black Friday or just this week? Or? Uh, yeah, there's they've got a big sale. If you go to the movie section on iTunes Canada right now, there's a, a thing right at the top of the page that has, um, what does it say? I was just looking at it earlier. Yeah, it's movie extravaganza, limited time prices. They've got like recent releases are under 10 bucks, 99 cent okay. rentals. And then they've got like a whole section for 4K movies under 10 bucks, box discounted bundles, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, they had a ton of stuff on sale this week. Um, hmm. Like Terminator in 4K was five bucks. I was like, okay, I'd like to see that. And, you know, the original yeah. one. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just some good stuff in here for the, for the price point. And again, the digital box sets too. Sometimes you can get movies down to like, you know, three, four bucks a movie if they have a good box set mm-hmm. Ooh, parasite 10 bucks yeah under under 10 yep so you're looking for something to do there you go you have some itunes money to burn through don't you i do but like I, I look at this stuff and i think well you know if i buy it that's great but it's like yeah 4.99 for for terminator um if i buy it i can probably find it on one of the streaming services right yeah it depends what it is i i i tend to look around and sort of see what what's available and what i'm more apt to watch in the future or multiple times so i think the thing that gets lost and, and i say this to my friends all the time who are like well i don't know i don't know why you have like a physical copy or why you have a, a downloaded copy of something because everything's available on a streaming services yeah today but tomorrow and as things get more and more fragmented i mean we talk about that on this pod all the time right things get more and more fragmented and then and then this publisher decides they want to have their own streaming service and they put that on their exclusive thing well you know there have been times where i've thought you know is netflix worth it or are all these different services worth it and you know there will be movies that i I'm going to want to watch irrespective of having those services. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, it just depends what you're, I mean, the other thing is too, to go buy a 4k Blu-ray nowadays is 
bloody expensive, like, you know, 25, 30 bucks a pop. Plus you have to go outside to do yeah, it. Yeah, you can order them, have them delivered too, but it's still, it's pretty pricey. And if you're looking at 25 bucks for one of those or five bucks to just have it and play it on your Apple TV, it's a pretty good case. Is that a category? Mm. Barbarella. Barbarella. <laughs> there you go. Okay, the first first Terminator Genesis, that's not a bad one. Tomb Raider, meh. Barbarella, yes. Ghost in the Shell and Eon Flux. I could just buy, I'd rather just buy Barbarella, although I've, only, I've seen it once. I think you only need to see that movie once. I think you only need to watch the first five minutes once. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> After that, it's all downhill. Yes, pretty much. But that and a pair of wings. Yeah. Ooh, the Steve McQueen five movie collection. What could this be? Le Mans. It's gonna say. Hunter. It's a bullet. Nope. Le Mans. No, none, none of the, not, nothing you're thinking. No. So it's like it's it's like Le Mans is the only good movie in this. The rest are all like whatever. That's weird. Yeah. That's why I have Tur- Turner Classic Movies, right? Yeah. Anytime you want to see Steve McQueen, just turn it on. Mm-hmm. The Amityville three. There's a third one. I I knew there was a second Amityville horror. Yeah, I think they went back and did a remake or something of it. And Anyway, I think we should call it. All right. I can go do some other things, watch some TV, and like that. All right. Well, talk to you I later. hope both of you enjoy your uh, long weekends slash vacations. And, uh, yep. Yeah. You go to work for us tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do the duty for everyone. I'm going. Sure. Hold down the fort. Right. Sounds good. You, you got it. You got it. Okay. All right. See you guys. Bye. Later. Bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.